0: Some murders are so captivating that the entire public gets involved. Newspapers battle for dominance, scoops and circulation, and an epic search for a head commences.
1: Y'all listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your host, Christy and Scott.
0: timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And we are here. (laughs) That is what can be said about us. The holidays are over. Life is about to get back to normal again.
1: No, no, no. No. Do approach is what passes for normal.
0: Yes, yes, that's true. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite the holiday season, hasn't it? (laughs) It has.
1: I ended up with a set of throwing knives and a grappling hook. What the fuck am I going to do with this?
0: (laughs) You wanted the banner i wanted
1: the macho man randy savage banner where he's where he was drop kicking jesus right that is correct yeah. yes as jesus well jesus was asking for it. <laughs> the whole turn the other cheek thing
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> i mean if you're not watching because you turn the other cheek then you could easily get drop kicked exactly. by macho man randy savage
1: exactly who do you think would make a great tag team partner for jesus
0: I don't know. Why do you ask me these questions? I I can't come up with this stuff on the spot.
1: I'm thinking, do you think he'd go with somebody else from Christianity? Do you think it'd be like Moses? Or do you think he would go with somebody from a different religion? Because myself, if I was choosing a deity, and I can't choose like God, the supreme being, if I was choosing a deity to wrestle with, I'd go with Shiva. goddess of destruction i bet she's got a hell of a sleeper hold six fucking arms yeah right yeah yeah
0: yeah that's a pretty good one
1: plus the aftermatch sex would be awesome (laughs) imagine having sex with a woman with six arms
0: how much blasphemy in multiple religions did you just
1: (laughs) about three or four (laughs) what's new with you this week buddy
0: not a lot. I spent a lot of time researching this one because it was a deep dive, and I love deep dives. You get so much more information. I was just delighted. Like, it all turns, even though, yes, it's a murder and it's horrifying. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is the stuff that you can't get from the Wikipedia. You know when I'm sending Jackson Snapchats of my notes mm-hmm. that it's going to be interesting.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, that
0: was basically like today I just basically sat um in front of the fire in the chair with Squeak in my lap the whole day just taking notes on my copious note cards. I have over 60 of them. I'm real close to the mic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, I use the note cards because it's just easier than a notebook. It's you know more just compact and mm. less unwieldy. So, and especially when you have a cat in the mix, she would not leave my lap today. And I refuse to get up when she is in my lap because I'm like, no, she, you can stay there. She's Squeak is by the way for those who don't know, she's pretty much blind. She's about 17 years old, and yeah, so I just uh, I just let her hang out if she wants to hang out on my lap because for years she did not want to be anywhere near me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now that she's
0: blind she must be near me all the time how about you how's your week shaking up
1: it's not been too bad it's not been too bad my 3d printer broke but it's i'm looking at it as a win because now i'm upgrading the motherboard to the next one up so my 3d printer is going to be printing better and quieter than it did before nice so this is not a bad thing it's a 30 dollars upgrade that i was going to get eventually mm-hmm. um so yeah it just sucks that i can't I can't print things in the, in the long run. And my buddy, Matt came over. He, he helped me repair it. We did get it partly repaired, but not enough to functioning. Mm. But yeah, Matt, thank you so very much for your assistance. And he stayed until 1am and I mean, he was determined to work, to, to get this out. So it was like a five hour, like a five hour situation. And so really thankful towards Matt. For those that don't know, our city is fucking exploding around
0: us. (laughs) It is the
1: goddamn poopocalypse.
0: Apparently, the sewers are exploding downtown something to do with salt and the power lines being old we're not really sure but there's just text messages coming text messages coming in from the group just being like oh yeah yes yeah, that's exploding oh my house is shaking <laughs> so if you're like okay
1: that's awesome that's,
0: that's so awesome yeah go that's johnstown yay just when you thought downtown was improving you have you know shit and salt combining to cause an explosion man <laughs> maybe it's probably not shit but it's <laughs> it's the salt and the power lines really but Yeah. So
1: I think that's fantastic. I I think Johnstown's uh, I hate to say this because I I like the people that I know from Johnstown, Mm -hmm. but Johnstown itself is horrid. Anymore.
0: But no, downtown is really improved. It's improving. It's improving. It has so improved. Much. They've put so much time and work into it and it is really, really neat to see it coming along from a place where you were scared to be at night to a place where during the Christmas season and other times, families will be, you know, down there and people are actually going out to eat and stuff. It used to just be this like abandoned, like scary ghost town just probably full of rapists. Like. There
1: there was this weird phenomenon in Johnstown. Uh it was for some reason, there was a lot of people in wheelchairs yeah around the park but they they wouldn't see you're picturing somebody in like a motorized wheelchair or somebody pushing the wheelchair along with their arms mm-hmm. no, these were people sitting in wheelchairs dragging themselves along with their
0: feet <laughs> it seems kind of like something's not right there <laughs> right
1: right they're useful they're using their legs. Mm-hmm. What do I know? I just found out, like, there was this guy back in 2005 in Florida who had a website. I think the website was cutoffmyfeet.com or something like this. Oh, fuck. Well, he was in a boating accident, and he was paralyzed, but in a weird way, where he had all the feeling above his knee. Oh, okay. His, the, lower, the lower legs would work, but they were numb. But his feet from the ankles down, paralyzed, that put him in a wheelchair and useless.
0: That is a really strange way to get paralyzed because it has it? to do with your spinal cord. So it's right. like everything from, from a, a certain point down.
1: Right. So it was a situation where the doctors said, you can walk again. All we have to do is amputate your feet. Oh, no. And put prosthetics on you. Yeah you'll be able to walk again instead of the useless hunks of meat that are on the ends of your legs. He said, "Fine, let's do it." They go, "Your insurance won't pay for it." Ugh. So he he was going to have a situation where he had like a friend of his who was a doctor present and he made this guillotine and he was going to cut off his own feet and he was going to sell tickets to view it online. Mm-hmm. And like he had a contest and somebody came in to watch it happen live. Wow. And, of course, the, the doctor would cauterize everything. They had the equipment there. And then they'd get him fitted for his prosthetics. He got arrested. Oh. But it was it was like a, a, a Florida law against mayhem. Which, Florida, you need to exercise that law more. <laughs> yeah. But through this, they the law, his lawyer actually made a deal going, You pay for the surgery. We're not going to do it. You pay for the surgery. You drop it we'll let it go yeah and he actually did have the surgery done okay, so he did him. he did get it but that's that's america baby
0: well speaking of cutting off body parts
1: oh <laughs> you
0: didn't even know that that was going to be a good segue I don't,
1: I don't i'm going into this one naked i haven't i haven't had any inkling of what's going on mm. i have a theory about what it may be but that theory was shot down with the whole head thing Because we were talking about Randolph Hearst. Yeah. And there is a murder mystery that involves Hearst and Charlie Chaplin, believe it or not. And I was kind of thinking we were going in that direction. But apparently no.
0: No Chaplin here. This is all from a book called Murder of the Century, The Gilded Age Crime That Scandalized the City and Sparked the Tabloid Wars by Paul Collins. And let me just say, I really thoroughly enjoyed this book. Okay, The writing was excellent. There were moments when he would make like a... A very dry pun and not remark upon it, and I, I have one of those saved for, for later. <laughs> but, um, but it was it was really a, a very enjoyable read. I loved the writing. I, I loved the way he told the story. I loved how you he was pulling in from different threads of the case, from the participants in the actual murder to the uh, cops were involved in the detectives to the reporters who were reporting on it and all these threads come together and it's, it's absolutely, it's a bonkers tale and it's one I had never heard of. Like when I read the description of it in the book, I was like, I have no idea what that is and I'm so eager to find out because I was like, I will not Google this. I will not look at reviews. I'm just gonna read and find out so even while i was researching reading the book i I was very hesitant to google anything that could potentially lead me to essentially spoilers like i was really trying not to get spoiled so it was very interesting researching this
1: i think that's something that that our podcast does very well if i may take a second to toot our own horn uh i think that there's a lot of a lot of cases that no one's ever heard of that we've dug up uh the sea and poison this one um, I'd never heard of Dr. Crippen. Apparently it's a very popular case. Um, Bella in the Witch Elm, you know, there's, there's been a lot of ones that just, you know, if you're coming here, if you're looking for something new, something that you've never heard of, go back to the old.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cause that stuff gets forgotten over time. I mean, this was a, this was a serious sensation in its day and we're going to see that. But in this day and age, I had never heard of any of these people. So this started on June 26th, 1897, and it was a hot one in New York City. It was absolutely sweltering, and really nothing was happening. It was a very slow news day, the kind of slow news day where the newspapers are remarking upon the weather, because I there's see. nothing else going on. And these, this is the days when the newspapers would grab anything and run with it and exaggerate. So um, there are four boys from the tenements go to the East 11th Street Pier to just... Hang out, you know, right by the water. They just kind of take over the pier and, and just are, are hanging out there. And uh, one of them sees a red bundle in the water. And so Jack McGuire, one of these boys,
1: Santa's Santa's toy basket,
0: exactly.
1: It's 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 Santa's basket, everybody. Santa's sack. We're gonna find a bunch of toys in here. Let's open it up.
0: Well, the thing is, is this wasn't as rare as you might think. It happened fairly often that you know various like merchants' goods traveling via boat would end up through whatever means just floating along the river. Something, you know, happened to the boat or whatever. So they're you know, they're thinking we could get something good out of this. So Jack McGuire dives in to get the bundle. It is wrapped in gold and red oilcloth.
1: Now you're telling me this isn't Santa's sack?
0: And well and it's gold and red. Yeah. 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 It's about thirty pounds and that oil cloth is tied with ropes. So they get that untied. Um, there's a at one point when they, they, they are trying to untie it, and somebody's got a knife, they, they plunge it in and some blood comes out and they think, oh, it's probably meat.
1: It's elves! No,
0: it's, it's a butcher's, butcher's uh, package that has come to us. It's elves and we're stabbing them to death. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fucking elves deserved it.
0: So underneath the oilcloth and the ropes is another layer of burlap and twine. And underneath that is brown paper. This is triple packaged. And then inside that are two arms and a chest.
1: Well, they weren't wrong. It yeah, was meat.
0: It was meat, in fact. And the chest was noted to be quite muscular, too. It was okay. a male chest. Obviously, you can tell one way or the other. Um, and the arms were, like, crossed over, sort of in an X with a hand on each shoulder. So, sort of what we think of when we, you know, in, bodies aren't necessarily laid out this way in, in mortuaries anymore. But it's sort of what we think of when we think that this the standard, like, dead body. Right, exactly.
1: Right. So the arms were still attached to... To the chest. Exactly. Okay. It was
0: the arm and the chest down to about the fifth rib or so. So, um, this was originally blamed on med student shenanigans. They were like, which it, it seemed to happen quite a bit. Like people would find fingers in cigar boxes or just legs hanging out in, you know, like a doorway or something like that. The med students were, were always getting, you know, cadavers or body parts to work with. And they would just go to town and be ridiculous with it. Hey,
1: everybody, let's go defile a corpse. It'll be fun.
0: This is part of our education, right? Yeah. You know, we're very- paying for our education. We should be able to defile a corpse.
1: Erasmus put one in the parade and won third place for best float. <laughs>
0: So the, uh, the 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 arms and chest are taken to the Bellevue morgue. This morgue gets twenty unclaimed bodies a day. God damn! And less than half of those, less than half of the total bodies, are claimed. There's no real way to, like, you know, no real set in stone method of IDing them and no real way of trying to notify people. And it was really like, it was 48 to 72 hours before those bodies would be sent off to Heart Island um, for unclaimed burial or cremation, or in some cases, not so much as we'll get to in a second here. Oh, God. Uh, Just a number for you. In 1896, out of 7,974 bodies, so close to 8,000, 4,925 of them were sent to Heart Island for unclaimed burial. So close to 5,000 out of 8,000.
1: My God. Yeah,
0: that's a ton of people just not knowing where their loved ones went.
1: It's really, really sad. That's a lot of meat that went bad, too. That's good pet food.
0: <laughs> oh, that's horrifying. I mean, I just breeze right past that. So, and actually, the the there was a, a dock for the Heart Island Ferry right at Bellevue Morgue's back door. So it could just they could just load the bodies up, and off it goes, right from their back door. Also in 1896, now think of all those unclaimed bodies. Okay. Uh, Captain Albert N. White was the morgue keeper. He had been uh, in there for quite a while, about uh, 27 years. He was dismissed. Why was he dismissed, you ask? Because he was selling cadavers to med students for five bucks a pop.
1: Well, I guess with what you could be doing with the cadavers, selling them is probably the second worst thing you could do.
0: It's bothering me that I didn't close my parentheses.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking like the first thing you can, like necrophilia. Yeah,
0: it's, at least he wasn't doing that. But at the same time, these unclaimed bodies of. could still potentially be claimed and he's making money off it and profiting, which is kind of ethically not that great. Yeah, yeah. So after 27 years of this, um, I mean, he this man had a salary of $60 a month. Which, uh, you add that up, 60 times 12 months a year, times 27 years. He should have, over those 27 years, earned uh, $19,440. Somehow he had about $100,000 banked up. So, uh, I think he sold a lot of cadavers. Yeah. You know, it,
1: it, I know I made the joke, it's a lot of pet food going to waste. But hear me out. Like, I would rather, like, if, my, if I would die... And for some reason, nobody would claim my body and nobody knew how I was. Mm-hmm. I honestly think going to a med school would be a fantastic thing. Not, not to be a, like the third place float in the New York City Macy's yeah, yeah. Day Parade. To be actually
0: studied and used for the yeah. furtherance of medical science. Absolutely. I, I agree with you on that. It's good. But you have to give more of a chance at it. And also nobody should be profiting off of that. Yeah. Nobody should be profiting off of your dead body except the funeral home. So they start taking a look at this, this the, the arms and the chest. And the, the first chapter of this is called the Jigsaw Man, which until we have a name, is how I'm going to refer to the, the victim here. Uh, interestingly, one thing that, that threw them off because they ex- expected it to be a med student's work, the head was cut roughly off. Um, but then the torso was a clean cut right under the fifth rib. And so that rough cut of the head, they were like, probably not a med student, a med student would know better. A med student would know how to go about that. And there was a little bit of flesh cut from the breast. And like I said, this was a well-muscled torso and the hands were very uncalloused. So that was an interesting thing, that they were very smooth and and uncalloused. This wasn't somebody who was was out there in the workaday world doing a a lot of uh, necessarily physical dirty labor. This was not
1: a blacksmith.
0: Not a blacksmith, yeah. There was no rigor mortis as of yet. So the medical examiner was like, this guy hasn't even been dead for 24 hours.
1: Now, rigor mortis is one of those things that comes and goes, though.
0: It comes and goes and, and depends on conditions, yeah. too. But we'll see later that uh, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't really enough time. There, okay. <laughs> there definitely wasn't enough time.
1: Wow, Santa works quick.
0: <laughs> yeah, right?
1: He only does <laughs> it one day a year.
0: And that's on... Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, technically Friday, but Saturday, June
1: 26th. So yeah, June 26th is the day Santa goes out and murders <laughs> all the pe- all the bad people on the naughty list. That makes things a little bit easier later on in the year.
0: And he puts them in some nice festive oil clogs.
1: Exactly.
0: So on the following Sunday, June 27th, a mechanic and his two sons out around the Harlem area... Uh, One of his sons is eight. The other one is a teenager. They go out in the woods around. I I looked at the map. It was kind of around Washington Heights-ish, I think. Um, They're going to pick cherries, and they find an abandoned parcel. Red and gold oilcloth on top of burlap on top of brown paper, and this one weighs about 100
1: pounds. No, it's the rest. It's everything but the head.
0: So the cops cut it open and they find a man's midsection from the ribs to four inches below the hips. So we don't have the legs yet fully. We have some of the legs, but not all the legs. And uh, one of the the detectives there notices that there's a piece of paper stuck to the small of the uh, jigsaw man's back. Kick me. (laughs) (laughs) Kick me when I'm down. Yeah. Um, there's something stamped on it, and it's the name of a hardware store in the Bowery. Mm. So some very good detective work there. Um, and that's uh, Detective Arthur Carey. Um, he was there when this parcel was unwrapped, and he was the one who noticed it. And uh, so he this was out at a at the time, you know, this Harlem Washington Heights area. this was pretty rural. This was not, you know, what we, we think of when we think of, of Harlem today. Um, it was very much, you know, farmland and woods, essentially. And uh, so he had been basically banished to this station. He used to be at the headquarters, at police headquarters in, in New York City. He was banished there. There was some politics going on. There's, there's some background there. But it doesn't seem like anything was really his fault.
1: Yeah, I've, I've heard that a lot of times good cops, mm-hmm. like really good cops, get banished to small stations because good cops make the other cops look bad.
0: That can be very true, yeah. And there were a lot... The The politics were pretty hardcore mm. during this time period and there was some dirty politics going on, too. But this station where he was banished to, it was... Kind of known around town that part of your 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 patrolman's duties were to help feed the goats. So I mean, this is not somewhere his old his old stomping grounds were the Bowery, where this mm-hmm. hardware store is. So he was able to like look at that and say, "Oh, okay, first clue."
1: This is feeling very hot fuzz.
0: I mean, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I haven't seen hot fuzz in a really long time. So. Okay. Um. So that was his old stomping grounds. He takes that uh, that paper and learns from the people at the hardware store that it had been part of the wrapping for a saw.
1: Ooh. Yeah.
0: I mean, you had to guess a saw was involved, but now we have a source for it. So I things see. are starting to heat up. Uh, they do an autopsy. They found two stab wounds near the cut sites. So they were kind of, those stab wounds were kind of hidden by the fact that they were, that, that was where they had been cut. That's like kind of a clever across. thing. Get yeah.
1: rid of the method of death by clever cuts. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you saw something, if you saw something, that obliterates like an eighth of an inch.
0: You can kind of make it blend in. Exactly. Too. Yeah, it was hard to see them. And uh, they also spotted the, the flesh removed. Um, and there were some wounds to the collarbone and the hand and boot shaped bruises on the arm or on one arm, showing obviously that there was a struggle. Mm-hmm. So they decide, all right, we're going to see do they fit together. They do, in fact. The chest and the midsection fit perfectly. There was no alcohol or food in the stomach, so it had been three or four hours since he'd eaten, and this wasn't like the very grisly end result of a barroom brawl Mm -hmm. or anything like that.
1: That's a hell of a barroom brawl. Somebody brought a Milwaukee sawzall to the to the bar.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's. I'm going to just stop up at Lowe's before I head to the bar <laughs> just in case.
1: Look what I got. I got it at freight. Zzz, <laughs> zzz. You looking at me funny, <laughs> Millie honey. <laughs>
0: so interestingly, the, the stumps of the legs were boiled, which, uh, could have been like then an early attempt to get rid of the body by boiling it. Um, and then they realized that this was going to be inefficient and just wasn't going to work. And the whole neighborhood was going to smell of, of, of pork. Um, the papers were like cannibalism, cannibalism. Um, or maybe it was a butcher who did it. Um, so butchers would actually scald pigs to loosen their skin. Okay. So, uh, lots of people came in with evidence one way or the other that it was or wasn't Uh, a 34 year old Danish scrap metal dealer named Max Weineke who had been missing for about a month. And also they came in with evidence one way or the other that it was or was not somebody else. Um, I'm going to read directly from the book here. We have some quotes here. Okay. A hysterical woman passed them on the way in. Oh, Dick, oh, Dick, why did you go away and leave me? She wailed.
1: There's the answer to the genitals thing.
0: (laughs) And was led sobbing over to the body. It was her husband, she moaned. Richard Meggs, a retired liquor dealer of West 52nd Street. He'd left on Thursday for a card game with $500 in his pocket, never to return.
1: That's a lot of money for that time.
0: that that is really that's
1: a ton of cash
0: when shown the scarred finger on the left hand she broke down again dick had a scar right there she sniffled the detectives and coroner's assistants weren't quite convinced did her husband have any other unique characteristics why yes she recalled her husband had a very distinct scar on his groin the attendants dutifully displayed it to mrs meg's full view it was not dick and uh, No, I'm not saying whether the, the genitals were there or not. Yeah. Um, again, we will get to that in a long while just so that nobody's waiting on uh, pins and needles here. So, yeah, um, you had people coming from all over trying to, you know, and we see this with, with various cases uh, people coming from all over expecting to find their loved one, and, you know, they, they don't. So, uh, William Randolph, first. Here we start with the journalism.
1: Here we go. I like how you take a a long swing. (laughs) William Randolph Hearst.
0: Here we go. That
1: son of a bitch.
0: Because we still don't have the head. He hired four boats to drag the East River looking for that head. The papers published illustrations of the hand, uh, the arm, the nails, diagrams of how the body was cut. It was pretty gruesome. Um, Pulitzer's uh, paper, The New York World, offered $500 in gold for whoever solved the mystery as an exclusive. In gold. In gold. So immediately, Hearst sees that. That comes out. He puts out an extra edition of the journal and says... Thousand dollar reward <laughs> to anybody who solves the mystery. <laughs> yeah, like it was like well, you got you got five thousand. I got. or you five hundred? I got one thousand.
1: It just keeps. I just picture it like going up and up and up until they're obviously not. And whoever solves this will be filleted by Charlie Chaplin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I told you, Charlie Chaplin's not coming. And, of course uh, not. He's filleting. <laughs>
1: oh, He's God. the one servicing.
0: So. Uh, Just to give an example, and again, I'm going to read directly from the book. It's so well-written, I can't not, and it gives such a good example of the battle that was going on journalistically during this time and previous to this. Quote, when he'd rolled into New York, Hearst stole his old paper's crown jewel by grabbing Sunday World editor Moral Goddard, a daredevil journalist who'd made his name as a London correspondent covering Jack the Ripper.
1: What the fuck is a... uh a daredevil journalist.
0: He covered Jack the Ripper. I don't We just talked about a daredevil journalist in our in our old tiny age. I know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that guy Carl Decker. Yeah, okay, he's a daredevil journalist. Just I'm I'm going to write this news story while jumping this canyon on my rocket bike.
0: We see some really crazy journalistic efforts here have, coming up, so We have. We have a lot more. So, um so basically uh Hearst tosses uh, <laughs> He tosses Goddard uh, a crumpled Wells Fargo bank draft for $35,000 and says, Take all or any part of that. (laughs) Then, for good measure, Hearst immediately bought the rest of the Sunday World staff as well. An outraged Pulitzer purchased them back, only to find his repatriated world men emptying their desks yet again and walking back to the journal. Hearst had stolen them twice. The park row sidewalk between the two papers, newsmen joked, was wearing thin. End Ooh. quote. See, you gotta love this writing. This is excellent writing. I love it. So there, was, there were multiple autopsies. We get to the third one. And a Dr. Frank... Ferguson noted similarities to the murder of an 11-year-old girl, Susie Martin, from three years ago, and this murder was still unsolved. Stab wounds were made with the same kind of knife. The head and the legs had been cut off. Uh, There'd been some sort of a saw used, but it was a butcher's, not a carpenter's. And Ferguson was like, it was the same killer. And it's a cannibal. We got a cannibal. Panic. Everybody panic. Cannibal. He's going to eat (laughs) you. Fun times ahead. (laughs) So... Not to uh, let the cops get ahead of him. Okay. Hearst creates this group of reporters who are dedicated to homicide coverage. He gives them badges and guns, and they're called the Murder Squad. You can't
1: do that. Unless you're Randolph Hearst, apparently.
0: And they're competing with the cops for finding clues. I mean, really, this is this is like, if you get those clues as the reporter, you've got the exclusive over the other papers. So they're going to quite great lengths here. I guess
1: obstruction of justice wasn't against the law at the time.
0: Apparently not. So there was a reporter for the World, uh, that was Pulitzer's paper, Ned Brown. And he was the one who made the connection of the soft, smooth hands. He went in, he looked at the body, and he saw those hands, and he thought, wait. The Turkish baths.
1: Do what now?
0: The Turkish baths. You the masseur, masseurs at the Turkish baths would using have very... oils. Exactly. Using oils, being in hot, steamy like areas all day. Their hands would be very strong, but also the skin would be very soft and smooth. They're not, you know they're not rubbing anything hard it had to be said um <laughs> they're rubbing skin you don't get calluses on your hands from rubbing skin you know? i beg to disagree anyhow <laughs> moving forward <laughs> so he goes to uh the turkish baths and he finds that uh in talking to the other workers there one worker bill Goldensepi. Was...
1: <laughs> Come on, no!
0: Golden Seppi, yes.
1: Go- like Giuseppe, Golden. but Seppi. golden.
0: Golden. Golden with a U. Golden Although Seppi. Although it's also sometimes spelled with an I-E, so sometimes it's Seppi. Okay. I don't, I don't know. Uh, so, Bill Golden Seppi had been a no-show at work recently. So, he manages to, through some quite great lengths, he pretended to be he got a whole bunch of soap and he pretended to be um selling the soap and giving it away and he manages to get into what people told him was golden seppi's girlfriend's apartment and he steals a picture of golden seppi that's sitting on a shelf for the next edition and the girlfriend is a midwife named augusta knack so lots of work is done to track that oilcloth. Detective Carey, who we mentioned earlier, he had found the distributor who had sold it to over 50 stores. That's a lot of legwork. And the reporters had figured out the same thing. So they're both racing to go to all the stores and, and figure out where this oilcloth came from. The reporters from the journal Hearst paper tracked one sale of the oilcloth to an address of 1 Augusta. Nash
1: no yes no indeed holy shit
0: you want some more holy shit yeah (laughs) two of these murder squad reporters actually chased down and helped arrest Augusta's Augusta Nash's husband Herman (laughs) Herman. here um he was a baker and they, they, they found him when he was on his route, and basically like, they chased him down and, and helped perform a citizen's arrest along with a patrolman. And yeah, it was absolutely crazy. So they crazy. thought it was a
1: butcher, but it turned he out to be, to be a, a baker, baker, and eventually there's going to be some sort of candlestick maker, of course.
0: Yes, of course. Yes, naturally. So Herman had been married to Augusta, but they, they brought him in and they found out that they had separated a while ago. They had lost three children once they lost the third that was their last one they split they'd been living apart for two years herman neck said yeah i know golden seppy um he boarded with us and then my wife left me for him so (laughs) yep know the guy Mm -hmm. no i know his work i'm familiar with his work those are his brushstrokes so
1: all over my wife's body
0: (laughs) basically yeah so they asked about his whereabouts on Friday, the day before the body was discovered, or the first part of the body was discovered. And Herman
1: goes, well, which part of him? I mean, I don't know.
0: <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was working and not buying a saw. So no, his, he'd done his, his regular routine. He worked from about 2 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. And then the other part of his routine was he, quote, went on a spree. He would go out. He would get don't, drunk. But...
1: Don't don't use that term, because I hear spree... Not, not that kind of spree. Yeah. He
0: would go out on a drinking binge there and not it. a killing spree. There it is. And he said he hadn't seen Golden Seppi in months, and his alibi checked out. Um, the, the patrons of the saloon where he'd been said, yeah, he was here. He led us in a round of drinking songs on Friday night. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that guy wasn't dismembering anybody at the time. <laughs> so... <laughs> That
1: right. Good for him. He sounds like he's living his best life after his wife leaves him for three quarters of a person.
0: And that's, <laughs> and that's definitely a way to make sure. You know, if, if you, I, if you really want to make sure that you know you nobody can say you are involved with the murder, go to the bar and lead everybody in a round of drinking songs. You're the one standing on the chair or mm-hmm. on the bar. Everybody sees you. No, there can be no doubt.
1: Best possible alibi. Yes. Yes. It yeah. really
0: is a description of Augusta Knack that we have here. She had, quote, a pleasing yet repellent appearance, end quote. Well. I know, right?
1: (laughs) Pleasing yet repellent.
0: And Golden Seppi was seeing her, but he was also seeing a, a grocer's widow behind her back. So there's a lot of seeing other people going on here and there there will eventually be more believe it or
1: not i'm trying to think if i know of anybody who is pleasing yet repelling
0: <laughs> i a can't pleasing think of anybody
1: yet repelling
0: it's a it's a really weird description that's the main reason i wrote it down i was like that's
1: odd you know the only person that i can think of steve buscemi
0: Yes, that is excellent. Yeah. Yes, I pleasing, would say so.
1: Yeah, pleasing yet repelling. Yeah. I would say Steve Bucci- And here's the thing. I love Steve Buscemi. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: And he is he is like just a fantastic actor, a an amazing human being. Uh, did you hear about him during 9-1-1, 9-11? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's out there in the fire trucks. And he goes, that could have been... That could have been a thing where, like, his agent could have went, "Look at this actor, Steve Buscemi, out here being here." He goes, "No, I don't want anyone to know about it." Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah.
0: He he has this the the, his face. It is it is pleasing, Mm -hmm. but it also is kind of repellent. It's really weird. Yes, but it it makes him very distinctive. Peter makes him a good character
1: actor. Peter Lorre, in addition
0: to his talent, Peter Lorre could be a good one. Yeah. Yeah,
1: pleasing yet repellent. And Vince Vaughn, Vince Vaughn, I would say handsome but repellent.
0: Yeah, I could agree with that. Yeah, he has something... There's something about his face that's just slightly off-putting. Holy
1: fuck, you know what it is, each one of them? It's the eyes.
0: Maybe, I don't know. Each
1: one of them looks like they need to go to bed now.
0: (laughs) A little bit. They all look kind of sleepy. Yeah. So, um, detectives come to interview her, and she was in the middle of... Actually, at the end of packing to go back to Hamburg, Germany. I mean, practically all her stuff was packed. There was barely any place for the detectives to sit. She said that she had last seen Golden Seppi Friday afternoon, which Friday, again, is the day that they're saying the murder happened. And they fought over his side piece. Uh, he, he asked her for some money, etc. There's some story that comes up here.
1: My side piece? She's just a pleasing. You pleasing but repellent. Yes. You look like Steve Buscemi in a dress.
0: She, uh, her history here, just a real quick, she married Herman in 1883 in Germany. They immigrated to America in 1886. Herman job hopped. He had like, eight different jobs and kept on losing them. And she claimed when they asked her about Golden Seppi, you know, what his whereabouts, uh, she said, well, he's been sending me notes all this time, you know, like since long after Friday, he's been sending me notes and sending people to my door, asking for his clothes, asking for my money, you know, like he's he's definitely got to be alive. Uh, I got the last note just yesterday, Tuesday afternoon. So we're at Wednesday now of the following week.
1: I'd be asking for that note.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted to see that note. So they do manage to get a positive ID, as Augusta Knack is the buyer of the oilcloth. Okay. Didn't want to get your hopes up about the body yet. <laughs> but I Appreciate I did, that. because I saw you raise your eyebrows, I was like, oh, no, oh, sorry. Okay.
1: <laughs> I'm very invested in this now. I need to find this killer.
0: So they really wanted to find the killer, too. And they felt like there was a good chance that it was Augusta Knack. And they had just found the legs in the river. So they propped them up in the hallway, opened up the door and said, do you know those? (laughs) She just calmly seeing this disembodied pair of legs says, how should I know? Nothing, no fainting, no freaking, literally she said, quote, how should I know? No fainting, no freaking out, none of that, nothing you would expect. Then again, she is a midwife, yeah. so she's seen, you know, some gore. But at the same time, you would think that there would be more of a reaction than that. Now,
1: how do you think you would react in that situation?
0: Oh, I would have, a, like, the panic attack to mm. end all panic attacks, and then I would demand that the city pay for my therapy for the rest of my damn life, and then afterwards when I'm haunting them.
1: I, think it I would- still
0: want to have a therapist when I'm haunting the same people who traumatized <laughs> the crap out of me
1: would you need a dead therapist or a psyche therapist? i'm
0: not going to be picky I'm okay dead. fair, enough. <laughs> I'm fair ghost. enough i can't be picky
1: i don't know how i would react i think i think like if somebody if i found like severed legs if i found them just there i'd start to worry but if like the cops were there and they went well do you know these i think if the cops are there or reporters who are pretending to be cops <laughs> My, my panic levels are already at a pretty high level at that point. So I think at that point, it just becomes kind of a numb, okay, what next?
0: No, I think that seeing severed legs kind of would freak me out no matter what. It doesn't matter how panicked I am. It's already going to freak me out. But she was just a, a cool customer. She didn't have very much to say about anything. Now, keep in mind, like I said, she'd been ready to leave. So she ended her lease. Guess who took up her lease? That would be one William Randolph Hearst.
1: Jesus Christ, Billy.
0: He rented out her apartment. He put reporters at all the entrances to the building. It was above a drugstore as, quote, doormen. And he sent other reporters out to every payphone booth in every nearby hotel with scissors. (laughs) (laughs) And the the doormen, quote, doormen. We're only allowed to let in cops and Hearst reporters.
1: Oh, my God.
0: I know, right? The evil genius of it. It is my, kind of scary. Other
1: reporters <laughs> having to deliver their fucking messages via carrier pigeon.
0: Oh, those reporters found out the hard way when those <laughs> they found out those lines were cut. They found out the hard way get a scoop right by the apartment, run to the nearest hotel for a payphone and hold up that phone and it's just the, the cable hanging down. Yeah, that's got to be so frustrating. Oh, there was a lot of anger, yeah. So in her apartment uh, was found in a cupboard, a butcher's knife, a broken saw and a gun and there was blood dried on the gun. Um, and... You're supposed
1: to shoot from a distance. Yeah, yeah. You're not, <laughs> not supposed to stab him in the eye with the gun. <laughs> Why aren't you dying?
0: I thought this was supposed to kill people. Uh, So uh, the uh, there was an in the neighborhood, an undertaker's assistant, and he came forward and said, oh, yeah, Mrs. Knack, she rented a horse in Surrey from me on Saturday and a German man with a mustache helped her out. Hitler. That's a little. Well, (laughs) um, so now we come upon as we come upon this German man with a mustache, a second border for the moment. We're going to call him Fred the German Barber. Okay. Uh, he was also, that that's what people were like, oh yeah, Fred, 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 the German barber. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the only German guy with a mustache I can think of that's been hanging around Mrs. Nash and also, you know, um, boning her.
1: Huh? I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me today. Anytime I hear guy with a mustache, for some reason, my brain immediately goes to either Wario or Waluigi.
0: <laughs> or Hitler.
1: <laughs> or Hitler. <laughs> Which really, Warrior, Wario may be Hitler.
0: So he was a second border, Fred the German Barber, who had lived with Augusta Knack. He had been involved with her. And back in February, uh, Golden Seppi had found out about this and beat the heck out of Fred the German Barber. So much so that he spent four days in the hospital and then moved the hell out of that apartment. He was ready to be gone. And so uh, this alibi that she has of, you know, oh, he's... He asked me for money and I gave it to him was one of the things that she said. And she also said that he you know, had sent her telegrams and such. It's starting to break down. Uh, the telegram that he supposedly sent her on Saturday, his name was misspelled. Hmm. Yeah, not great. And uh, the money that she'd supposedly given him, there was no withdrawal of that from her bank account that day. That $50 that she supposedly gave him. So that was becoming a slight problem. And, uh, oh, yeah, that money they literally found, uh, not that money, but a whole bunch of money that she claimed not to have, they found stashed in her corset at the jail. (laughs) (laughs) They also found some bruises on her arms that were starting to fade, and they brought in a a, a doctor to look at him, and he said, yeah, that's about the right timeline that those could have happened when you say the murder occurred.
1: Do they look like defensive wounds, or...?
0: Well, would they... mm, I mean... I think bruises, it's hard to say whether they're defensive wounds or not. Um, So if somebody's, like, face is cut, then you know somebody, like, went after them with their nails, and that could be defensive wounds. But bruises could be anything, you know? It could be she just fell or, you know, a a big dog hopped up on her. Some people bruise really easily. I'm not one of them, but and so i like uh, i like how you
1: threw that out there i'm not one of them so don't try anything you bastards oh, oh no
0: i do not bruise easily at all i was in roller derby for months and i didn't get a single bruise that's I got impressive knocked the crap down
1: <laughs> jesus i forgot you were in roller derby i used uh, for for the listeners i used to announce for the local roller derby mm-hmm. uh we had a, we have a lot of friends beast was part of the roller derby for a while too wasn't For a little while yeah. yeah
0: barb was more part of it yeah oh absolutely and, and uh, cecilia that's how cecilia met joel actually so. okay we're talking about all our friends exactly <laughs> so um, police captain O'Brien uh, he's actually he's technically supposed to be an inspector and he will be soon but the, all this, these politics were still happening and so he was a captain who was managing other captains so everybody kind of like saw some humor in it Um he was asked by the press uh, whether or not they thought that she you know that this, this woman could have done this to this man and he said quote she has arms more large and muscular than mine Jesus quote. Christ so, um, Augusta Knack claimed that she didn't know the Undertaker that said she'd rented the Surrey from him. He said, I buried one of your children. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, lady. Jeez. Oh, you. <laughs> he ID'd her in a lineup, and she was still like, Nope, didn't do it. Didn't rent anything. I haven't rented anything in my life. What's rent mean? I don't know what you mean. No, 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 no. Oh, wait, no, you're no talking about that. Place. You're talking
1: about that play. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes. 1,004 hours. I can't remember how it goes. No, neither, <laughs> it's been a really long time.
1: Neither, neither can I. I do like the I do like the South Park version, the uh, mm-hmm. the Team America version. Everyone's got AIDS. Yes,
0: yes. So um, they do manage to find out that uh, Fred the German barber was actually Martin Thorne the German barber.
1: That's not Fred at all.
0: And uh, it was a detective... Who went from barber to barber getting shaves one after the other after the other after the other until he was just his face was just completely red from the nose down <laughs> and he would ask you know that's that's how you get barbers talking mm-hmm. you go in for a shave you can only go in for so many haircuts you know right and uh, he found vogel's uh barber shop thorn had worked there and had just quit out of the blue last week
1: see you gotta you gotta pace it out you go in and go i just want my mustache to trim then, oh no! I just I want my my mustache shaved off, but leave the beer. He
0: probably did pace it out, but he yeah. went to so many barbers.
1: Jesus. I mean, imagine
0: how many barbers there are. <laughs> like, I want my in, eyebrows. In late 1890s, New York City,
1: <laughs> like, like, barber Barber 28. I just pictured like his poor face, like swollen and red, and I was like going like, "What, what do you, What brings you here, son? I want you to frost my bush, <laughs> my pubes. I want you to." I want you to put like tin foil on my pubes and I want you to put like highlights in my pubic hair. Could
0: those be pink highlights? Does that exist now?
1: (laughs) I want pink highlights in my bush. (laughs) Do not touch my face. was like clean. Like no eyebrows, no eyelashes, (laughs) nothing.
0: They called him the man least in need of a shave in New York City. He had gotten like 30 shaves in a couple of days. I want you to
1: do one armpit.
0: And so a fellow barber at Vogel's said, uh, Thorne told me about when Golden Seppi beat him up. Also said that at the time, uh, Thorne had tried to pull a gun on Golden Seppi, but uh, Golden Seppi got it from him and beat him with it. Insult to injury. There's the blood. Well, it was, this was the February. Well, event. that's where they got the idea. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go, yeah. yeah. it's actually probably where the blood came from. Um, and swore, Thorne swore that he was going to get a knife And he was going to catch Golden Seppi unawares. And he was not the joking kind. Mm. Jokes didn't really come naturally to this uh, German barber.
1: (laughs) The Germans are such a festive and happy people. (laughs) I know. I find that so hard to believe.
0: So in, in his festive and happy disposition, he asked a fellow barber to get him a stiletto knife. And the barber was like not really comfortable with this and was even less comfortable when Thorne continued to ask him for information on poisons and chloroform because this fellow barber had been a dentist in the old country and would know some things about some things. Jesus. And this fellow barber's like I'm getting less and less. Do we have an HR department? Can I file a complaint please? But then also not be stabbed or poisoned?
1: (laughs) I feel this is the way people look at me at work. Like whenever (laughs) I'm sitting there like on the thing look at this. This guy ate a cat alive
0: <laughs> uh, next week on old timey Crimey. yes, <laughs> yes.
1: Like, like at work i actually stood up and went this guy i'm researching is amazing he ate an eel
0: alive both of these men had told stories both thorn and golden seppy had told a story about mrs knack getting them a house on long island this was it was just so weird how they both had this whole story um, she had, It seemed, from the stories that were going around, that she had promised this house to both men. Uh, Thorne would set up a, a barber shop there. Uh, Golden Seppi would do something else. I can't remember what. And then she was also going to start a, quote-unquote, baby farm. Not even getting what? into that. Not getting into it. Not getting into it.
1: A, a baby farm.
0: Potentially orphanage, but also potentially like taking in babies for money and then killing them is what some baby farmers did in the, in the time period. Before that... There's, there's one um, case from England that we're never going to do and it's a woman who was the most prolific baby farmer in England and was, it was just, it's horrifying. And I'm just like, nope, I, I draw the line at talking about dead babies for an hour and no. a half. <laughs> like, can't do it, can't do it.
1: I, I've never heard of this oh, yeah, before. Yeah. And I
0: don't know if that's specifically, they put it in quotes in the book, I don't know if that specifically was her plan or if, because she was a midwife so she might have been, you know maybe she could have been planning on a little orphanage for the, the, the unwanted babies because I'm sure she came upon many women who didn't want their babies in that day and age when birth control wasn't quite as advanced as it is now so yeah um and uh they kept on uh you know the cops and the reporters were looking for this long island house but they didn't have quite enough information just yet and then she said proudly came the ducks
1: oh no (laughs) or oh yes
0: it's a little bit of both actually so there's this town in long island called woodside okay a farmer there was coming up to the police, and he was saying, y- "You guys need to hear about my ducks." And they were like, "We don't want to hear about your dick. And they were like, "No, I said my ducks."
1: <laughs> so the,
0: <laughs> I got some duck pics for you now. No,
1: have no. have the are the ducks going to solve this crime?
0: In a way, a little bit. So a little bit.
1: They're duck detectives.
0: They're duck detectives. Yes, a little bit. So this farmer in Woodside, his ducks had gotten sick after swimming in a drain by a cottage that was supposed to be vacant. There was water running full speed out of the drain pipe, again, vacant, mm-hmm. uh, that was attached to this cottage, and red stuff running off the duck's feathers. So that led them. Kool Aid. Not Kool Aid. Oh dear. So that led them to this house, and they asked the uh, the caretaker of the house, they, who lived uh, right nearby. They said. Um, has anybody tried to rent this house recently? And she said, yes. Um, uh, a man named Mr. Frank Braun, a shoemaker, and his wife, Mrs. Braun. They actually rented the house out. Um, they were supposed to move in. They came once or twice, and then they disappeared. And they showed her a picture of Augusta Knack. And she said, yeah, that's Mrs. Braun.
1: She's unpleasant, but beautiful <laughs> yes. at the same time.
0: Essentially, yes. She's she's a quagmire. She's confusing. Nobody knows what to make of her. Giggity. Giggity. <laughs>
1: Or, Not while you're drinking, you you know, sorry. Drinking. <laughs>
0: the Blue Yeti must be protected from the spit takes. <laughs> so they asked around at the neighbors, as you do. And the neighbor said, yeah, there was a... I saw Mrs. Braun and a man come to the, the house, uh, the, the vacant cottage, last Friday. Friday. Mm-hmm. Murder
1: day. Murder day.
0: And then a second man came. But you know what's weird?
1: Second man didn't leave.
0: Only one man left. It's like Thunderdome
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> So that's a little strange. So they send out an alert for Thorn. like they're worried that he's like fleeing the country he's 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 German, so maybe he's going back to the home country and they all u s and foreign ports they're really searching for him, and the search for him goes pretty hardcore. um there were uh <laughs> they just. They tried so hard to find this man. It was, like, ridiculous how long it took them to find this man. And also, they couldn't find Golden Seppi's head.
1: Of course not.
0: <laughs> there was a rumor, a rumor, of a $1,000 reward for Golden Seppi's head in Woodside. And so the streets and the ditches and the fields over 4th of July weekend were filled with children searching for the most macabre prize you could possibly imagine. They're poking sticks in the grass and they're digging through the weeds and they're looking everywhere and making for a decapitated head. Hey Johnny, this beats Easter, doesn't it? I'm going to find a head and I'm going to go to the movies. But again, I must remind you, or I haven't reminded you yet, but I must remind you now, it's about two weeks old. Yeah. That's going to be worse. I, I think worse than finding a fresh head is finding a decomposed one in the summer heat. I don't know. Uh, no, I think it's pretty freaking bad. Decom- decomposition freaks me out. I, I hate to say that, but it, as, as a person who co-hosts a murder podcast, but it really does.
1: Well, decomposition is pretty bad. I'm not going to lie about that. Because uh, once you die, there's like three things that happen to you. There's either putrefaction where you just kind of rot. There's desiccation where you're mummy you're mummified. And then there's one called, I believe, lipid uh, lipidification, where you turn into soap.
0: Yeah. It's, and d- it's no it's all...
1: adiposification. Okay. So right. adiposification, where your body turns into this substance called grave wax adiposeir, and just ugh.
0: Yeah. It's all. It's all. There's none. Of, but, none of it's good. It's all bad. Right.
1: Right. But my thinking is, if it's a little decomposed. That's, for me, that would be a little bit removed from human.
0: It's two weeks of high temperatures, humidity.
1: I couldn't exactly hang it from a fish hook and do the JoJo torture dance. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the water company, they go to the water company, and the water company's like, yeah, that house, that's used about 40,000 gallons of water in the last month. The average family uses... Um, three times less than that. <laughs> so thirty percent of that, maybe in a year. Yeah, <laughs> and they checked for leaks. Not a single leak. That Everything bill's good. gonna be
1: high as hell.
0: So somebody thought to oh yeah, check the bathtub trap, and they found some bad smelling mush in there. But they couldn't really. Um, they sent it to the lab. Mm. Um.
1: <laughs> yep, it's mush.
0: Just this is in fact mush, <laughs> and I, I'm a scientist, and I can tell mm-hmm. you from a scientific point of view. This is bad smelling mush.
1: This is bad smelling mush. Now a lot of people think this would be gunk, but no, gunk is a little bit more uh, thickened. Chunky. It's chunky. chunky. It's thickened. This yeah. is mush. This is like a consistent slime. It's not gunk. It's not mush. gunk. It's not. It's
0: not slime. Well, it's, it's mush.
1: Thank you, Doctor Mush and Gunk.
0: <laughs> so. Um... Just a side note, not really related specifically to the case, but sort of related to the case. There was some panic at one moment when the legs went missing from the morgue. <laughs> What <laughs> you, you gotta love?
1: They didn't you know. just get up and walk away.
0: <laughs> no, that joke was definitely made. <laughs> I can, I can absolutely assure you because it's in the book. Oh my! That God. joke was definitely made. Oh, yes. <laughs> I
1: love it whenever. Maybe
0: <laughs> <I laughs> just got up and walked away.
1: <laughs> I love it whenever I accidentally predict old history.
0: <laughs> Pretty impressive. Yeah. Thank you. And now a message from Heinous Hotels. Heinous Hotels is a podcast about infamous hotels and travel destinations for the traveler who loves history, urban legends, ghost stories, and true crime.
1: Your host Jordan covers famous hotels all over the world, as well as some obscure hotels in small towns with a local reputation.
0: Episodes are available on all the things. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, it's there.
1: As Jordan says, pack your bags and don't forget your passport. It's time to check into Heinous Hotels.
0: World snuck into the house, or while they were in the house, while nobody was looking, they got a, a you know kind of chiseled up a little stain from the floor, mm-hmm. and and they sent it to a chemist who tested it positively for blood. So a little again, we've got the the reporters doing what the cops should be doing, just in order to get a scoop, not right. of any inherent like we must solve the case because yeah like they want to solve the case too, but at the same time they're like no we just really want the next paper to sell well.
1: Let's let's really face it let's let, let's get down to the real drive of humanity. We
0: want to answer questions. We it, hate unanswered questions. We
1: do hate unanswered questions. That's why we're here. Right. But honestly, cops they're just there for the paycheck.
0: Some of them, no, some of them are definitely some... absolutely there to help people and and some homicide cops are there to solve the the murder and and get closure for their, as much closure as can be possibly had when you've had something horribly traumatic like that happen and lost somebody in a horrible fashion but i can absolutely assure you that there there are many cops who are in it like you i don't think you go into especially homicide for a paycheck a it doesn't pay that well yeah and b that is a hard life with lots of trauma and yeah you'll get jaded and 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 hardened to it eventually but that's a long way that's that's years into it of seeing many dead bodies and and horrifying things and and done to people who in no way deserved it
1: i would be curious to find out how many cops accidentally end up in homicide As opposed to try to go into it.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's not any actual numbers on that, but it is a curiosity. Absolutely. So, uh, good old uh, O'Brien, being the smart homicide detective that he was, he was uh, sending out false information to the papers to try to flush Thorne out. And uh, the reporters tracked down Thorne's family members. Who hadn't seen him for years? One sister was like, "Oh yeah, I am I, I haven't seen him for for nine years, so I have no idea. I cannot help you go away, please."
1: I'm starting to wonder if maybe there's some sort of legitimate, there's a legitimate idea in having the having the newspapers be a part of the police
0: honestly, force at this time. You want that? They're they're investigating, and the part of journalism is investigating, and they're doing
1: a damn good job of then it. Really quite are. honestly, yeah.
0: Um, I mean, sometimes they're being sneaky and sometimes it might impede the investigation. You know, imagine if a cop needed to use one of those phones that had the, the, the line cut. That would probably be, you know, slow things down a little bit. But You know,
1: bounty hunters, though, you know, it, it's not uncommon for some police forces and bail bondsmen to use bounty hunters. Yeah. And they're able to do stuff police aren't able to do. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. They put themselves I mean, at still, risk. They're still within certain legal bounds. Right. But, yeah. And then one brother that the reporters found said... Yeah, I've seen him. About a year ago, he came to me drunk. He showed me a gun and swore that someday I would hear about him using it on someone. Things are starting to get a little suspicious around uh, Martin Thorne, the German barber, don't you think? Uh, It
1: feels like something that happened to me with my my older brother.
0: (laughs) Brothers, man.
1: (laughs) I don't like my brothers.
0: (laughs) It gets even uh, even more uh, suspicious here when they find out that uh, his sister was married to a man named Ludwig Braun. Okay. and that his brother Thorne's brother was a shoemaker so uh, that might be how Thorne cobbled together his uh-huh. false ID uh-huh. 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 <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so we have a barber by the name of John Gotha Gotha's wife goes to the cops and she says my husband He's an old friend of Thorne's, and he saw him yesterday. So, they uh, they track down Gotha, and they're like, tell us the story. And he's like, mm-hmm. and his wife is like, John, tell them the story. Do, do now. It. Do tell it. them the story. I've already told them most of it, so you may as well tell them the rest of it. Tell them the story.
1: You tell them the story. You aren't getting any of this tonight.
0: Yes. So... Gotha said that uh, Thorne came uh, for a haircut. He had his mustache shaved off, uh, and he usually wore a brown derby, but now he was wearing a white fedora. That hat, you know, hat switch is an integral part of the, you know, disguise. Absolutely.
1: I, I came here tonight with a with a uh, a toque instead of my standard golf cap. Yeah, there you go. Because I'm trying to avoid detection.
0: Incognito. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Thorne slipped Gotha a note while he was paying and said, meet me at the corner. So they met, and then they spent three hours in a saloon where Thorne told him everything and made a plan to meet again soon. Mm. In fact, the next day. Uh, so the cops were like, okay, you're going to meet tomorrow. Or actually technically today, because it was the next day. We want to be in on that. Can we get in on that? Let's, let's get in on that. Yeah, let's do that.
1: We're just going to be over here at the other table. Yeah. Rest dressed- <laughs> In clothing that is somewhat plain,
0: essentially, yeah, they dressed as workmen mm-hmm. at a soda fountain um, and uh, a soda fountain at a drugstore, and they pick up Thorn. Uh, just in, in this huge scuffle that was like kind of scary for the the people, especially the the, the 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 soda jerks. They were like, "I think we're getting robbed." No, nope, nope. no. They're just taking no. They're just taking that man. But why did they take everything out of his pocket? What's happening? It was a lot of confusion. But like, especially when they you know they see a bunch of workmen descend. Um, Inspector O'Brien himself—he's inspector now.
1: Oh, thank got God! The
0: paperwork came through. Finally, he's on the scene. There's no—keep in mind, 1897. Um, no cop cars. So I at,
1: never thought about that. Yeah,
0: there's no cop cars. No How did they transport him to the station?
1: I'm—I'm I'm gonna say, on the back of a horse with with irons on. On the L.
0: On oh, the elevated train.
1: Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. So just in like with the other passengers,
0: exactly, yeah. Wow, and they were all like, is that who I think it is? Doesn't have a mustache. I've seen him in the paper. I don't know. So um, they were at this point in time, uh, forensically speaking, they were already scraping nails for blood or skin. I mean, they couldn't necessarily. They certainly couldn't do DNA. We know that. But they could use that to to mark it as, you know, somebody was, you know, you you, you hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But they dismissed the idea of fingerprints as just silly. That's just silliness. That's so silly. There's
1: actually a Sherlock Holmes novel. Where Sherlock himself dismisses the idea of fingerprints. Yeah,
0: it was not a really popular idea at first. It took a while for people to come around. It's interesting how, like, scorned it was or this newfangled idea, you know, when it just really becomes such a huge part of criminal investigation. Yeah. Like, a, a very expected part of criminal investigation.
1: But I think there's actually some some new papers out there questioning the veracity of fingerprints now oh my gosh so yeah i want
0: to do research on that i want to find out yeah <laughs> the okay so the woodside house caretaker and the undertaker's assistant who had rented out the her- horse in surrey paul bearer undertaker's assistant
1: no paul paul, paul, paul bearer, bearer paul I get bearer it. well no the wrestler the undertaker okay all right His guy there, he had a guy that carried an urn who was just, you know, we've talked about unpleasant but beautiful, but the dude was just unpleasant. <laughs> and his name was Paul Bearer. Of course. And he oh, my Undertaker! Oh.
0: Anyhow, these people positively I, ID Thorne. I'm sorry. Everybody who's <laughs>
1: watched the WWE is like, oh, that's funny, Scott. But Chris is looking at me going, it's, it's
0: mildly amusing.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, so, uh. John Gotha, they had neglected to arrest him at the scene because they were so uh, caught up in Thorne. But he really wanted to be given a fake arrest because he had figured out the reason that Thorne wanted to meet up with him the next day after confessing was uh, because he wanted to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> because he regretted um, actually telling Gotha all this. And Gotha will come out and we'll have some quotes from him in the indictment. But So they do uh, eventually give him a fake arrest as a cover Um, But he did have to testify at the indictment, and he said... But Thorne was not there, but he was afraid. Um, A reporter said of John Gotha, quote, he had the look of a man going to the electric chair. Now, let's dig into his testimony a little bit. Please. These are... um, I'm going to do some pretty long quotes from the book, because, like, I mean, it's... Half of it is quotes from the actual testimony, but then it's also well-written, so... All right, this is John Gotha speaking. I met him at a saloon between 128th and 129th streets on the west side of 8th Avenue. We had a couple drinks and I said, you made a botched job of that fellow. Thorne had stared at him in terrible silence for a full minute. I know it, he finally said. Have you read the newspapers? It is all the woman's fault. They all say that.
1: Um, They're all right. Giving <laughs> <skipping> some stuff. <laughs> skipping
0: some stuff. Uh, Gotha struggled as he recalled his friend's next words. I looked at him, and he said, "You are the only friend I've got, and I'll tell you all about it. I expect you to keep a closed mouth." Uh, he spoke about Golden Seppi, and they said they wanted, and said they, they wanted to get rid of them. He said, and "This is Thorn speaking." We, a quote of Thorne, we talked the matter over and decided to kill him. We looked about and rented the house at Woodside. We thought it was far enough out of the way and decided to do the thing on Friday. She bought the oilcloth at that place in Astoria and bought the cheesecloth at Eric's. Yeah, Eric's. Um, and then uh, Thorne tells him that he got to the house early and went upstairs, waited for Golden Seppi and Mrs. Knack. Uh, Mrs. Knack was supposed to bring Golden Seppi up. So uh, while waiting, he, quote, he took off all his clothing but his undershirt and socks. He did not want to get them bloodstained. About 11 o'clock, he said he saw Mrs. Knack and Golden Seppi come up to the front gate. They entered the house. The witness paused. The packed courtroom was dead quiet. Then Gothery called, "'Clad in underclothes, and with a revolver in his hand, "'Thorne had hidden himself behind a closet door "'in an upstairs bedroom. "'He could hear the two talking downstairs. "'Go and see the room upstairs,' he heard Gussie tell her boyfriend. "'I think you'll like them.' "'Thorne cocked his pistol. Mm. "'He fired point-blank into the face. "'The monsieur had a moment of recognition. "'His hands flew up, but they never made it. "'Goldenseppi crashed to his knees, "'then slumped backward onto the floor. "'Gotha swallowed hard, and what he said next made the jury gasp. "'He was not dead.' Thorn dragged him into the bathroom and put him in the tub. Thorne slit his throat until a final breath came out of the hole he'd made. Quote, I heard a snore, was how he put it.
1: Uh, oh, I'm going to have nightmares about that tonight. <laughs> you
0: didn't have to read it. Snoring <laughs>
1: from your throat wound.
0: The assistant DA stopped Gotha for a pregnant moment. Are you positive that Thorn said Golden Suppy was snoring or breathing when the razor was drawn across his throat? Yes, Gotha said quietly. He told me the man was, quote, snoring when he cut his throat. And Thorn kept cutting. He nearly severed the head from the body with the razor, Gotha told the jury. Then Thorn went downstairs to Mrs. Knack, who was waiting patiently for him. It's done, he said. I know, she replied. I heard.
1: Oh. Okay, a little fun fact that I learned this week.
0: This doesn't sound like it's going to be fun at
1: all. No, no, it's not. Uh I I have become addicted to these uh these Reddit videos that are on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And they're essentially like, you know, Reddit ask me anything or or ask Reddit and then they have this robotic voice doing it. And one of them was uh Ask Reddit, what are some disturbing facts that you know from your job? And one was a CSI agent. Mm. And he said, whenever you're picking up a severed human head, be sure to use both hands. Mm. Because Ah. it does weigh about as much as a bowling ball, but a bowling ball has the weight evenly distributed. So even though you can pick up a bowling ball, if you try to pick up a human head with one hand, it will roll out. So you have to use both hands to pick it up.
0: I'm going to have to say something here, and you're going to think it's worse than it's going to be. Okay. i just want to let you know but i would like to ask you to stop being psychic but it's not as bad as you think
1: okay, okay. all
0: right so continuing with the testimony gotha says that Thorne s- sent M- mrs knack off and said come back at five tonight uh he finishes his job uh, of the head and then slices off the, the tattoo the golden sepihot on his chest that's where the slice on the breast comes from uh took the legs um off with a saw and then did the midsection in the chest and then uh, mixed up a basin full of quick-drying plaster and dropped the head in. Then it set into a smooth ball.
1: Mm. So,
0: bowling ball! Yes! <laughs> there it is! With a head inside.
1: Oh my god.
0: Worst bowling ball ever! Uh, so then uh, when Mrs. Neck came back, you know, like he did some washing up around and clean, cleaning and everything. They take the parcels out to the Surrey that she had rented. mm mm-hmm. And then go to the ferry. And then they drop uh, the parcels off. And supposedly the head went overboard as well. But ever the barber, Thorn now had second thoughts. Not about the murder, but about his victim's hair. He fretted that he hadn't shaved off Golden Suppy's telltale mustache. But he really wasn't that worried because the block of plaster sank instantly. They can't find it, he boasted to Gotha, adding dismissively, I don't care. So that is supposedly what happened. And I say supposedly for a reason.
1: Oh, no.
0: Um, the, oh, they put the head in the plaster and uh, the it sank supposedly, but the arms and the chest didn't. And they were found about 15 minutes after they were dropped. Wow. (laughs) Is the timeline supposedly there. Record
1: evidence discover.
0: Yeah, right? And in addition to feel like it should have said 15 hours because it was murder on friday saturday i don't know for sure but um it's 1897 timelines are going to get a little skewed Sources 15 minutes to 15 hours very, very wildly. wildly and uh you know it's it's 1897 so um he did express some regrets thorn did um he, he said he should have weighed the bundles down not about the murder yeah. nope nope murder's fine but uh, i really should have done a better job of it so, yeah then he went and pawned golden seppi's clothes and watch
1: why that's for, that's for money I guess for it. money
0: for accommodations basically a place to stay that's... he could stay at his house because they, if, if they would start looking at it for him
1: boy that no you need to get and Remember, rid of he his had clothes. quit his job too. yeah that's true but still, that's... No, have it better prepared. You don't pawn...
0: And later, there's a story that Augusta Knack burned the clothes in the fireplace. So, yeah, it's like, who the hell knows? Yeah. Um, the stories, they, they tend to just just really rocket around and fly from one thing to another. 17 different stories are told throughout this whole thing. So, um, Thorn said to Gotha, I wish to God I had not told you all this. And that's where Gotha was like, I do you might want to kill me today.
1: <laughs> Told you what, I wasn't paying attention.
0: Yeah. So now there's this search. Now that they have a supposedly an idea of where the head might be, the police go out there and they use grapplers. Now, do you know what grapplers are?
1: I got one for Christmas.
0: They're <laughs> not grappling hooks, but it's, it's the same idea. The word is being used similarly. But these are grapplers are riverbed scavengers. They they go along the rivers with naphthas, another new word for you which are petroleum-powered steamboats, which have fast starts and explosive ends when things go bad, as you can imagine. Steam,
1: oddly, but with petroleum. Oddly enough, I know what a naphtha is. Oh, okay. My, uh, my, I had an older brother. He's still alive. I just don't talk to him. But steam-powered equipment was his passion. Oh, okay. all right. He was actually very good at it. He was impressive at, at, uh, at uh, restoring you know, steam engines and what have you. He was really good at it. In fact, he owned a steam engine that was worth close to a million dollars once he restored it. Um, Because he had like one of three in America that was restored to that point. But yes, so not only do I know what a naphtha is, I have seen one in person.
0: Okay, I was expecting that to be new knowledge, but you always end up surprising (laughs) me. So as the police are, you know, using the grapplers for the search, of course crowds figure out what's going on and they gather um. Here are some quotes that the spectators yelled. Three cheers for Golden Suppy! Rah, rah, rah! And heads you win, tails you lose!
1: <laughs> it, Jesus Christ, people.
0: I mean, we think we're bad. Yeah. <laughs> At least we're not on the scene doing it. You know? Exactly.
1: That's pretty fucking cold.
0: Although, the newspapers started doing their own headhunting
1: oh sorry
0: sorry they got veteran deep sea diver charles Olson. had him like they're literally as the cops are out there doing their own searching for the head Mm -hmm. the newspapers have their own boat out there as well with the diver out there and he's being you know extra you know exaggerated and they put this big huge comically oversized suit on him and he goes down into the water and then, then there's a long wait and then there's tugs on the line and that's a signal and then they bring something up and uh, there's there's a whole section in the book where I didn't really get into this too far with my my actual notes, but it was it was kind of funny how the police did think that the newspaper had found the head because something had been brought up, and it well, it was not. But they did come to like storm the office. They were like, "Where's the head?" And they were like, "What head? We're just writing this article about Mrs. Smith's big cook off tomorrow." It is
1: a clever move. Bring up the first big piece of trash you find. Keep it secluded. And that'll make the police give up because they won't want to waste the resources and then we find the head.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: It is a clever move.
0: So um, there was a report from the New York World that Gotha had even mentioned Thorne confessed he'd been in the crowds at the morgue that came to look at the body and had pointed out the wound on the collarbone, which was hard to see, to a doctor. A little bit uh, brazen there, if, if true.
1: It's almost as if he's proud of his work.
0: Almost, yes.
1: He's a pretty good guy,
0: eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear.
1: If I do say so myself, I know that was weird.
0: Barber jokes.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: With whatever accent that is. <laughs> um, detectives went to the boarding house where Thorne had been staying, and they found in his room, which was like all they found there was his walking stick and his valise. His release had had the usual stuff you take with you traveling, a couple sets of clothes, some grooming items, tons of copies of the papers covering the murder that you just committed. Of course. Of course. Tons of copies no, of the, the, the world. He's and obviously eternal. proud of this. He really is. It's his and finest he also wanted, hour. He wanted to keep up with the coverage, too, to figure out how close they were to him. Um, so that was another thing newspapers all the newspapers were battling for coverage it was the really in the in the neck and neck race it was the journal and the world with the journal really coming out ahead but all the newspapers were fighting for who was going to get any part of the story and they were desperate for any sort of a scoop and as soon as one paper gets it it's it's scooped it's done Mm -hmm. so one one paper is super desperate for action so they they profiled the woodside duck of course quote it is an ordinary duck end quote (laughs) And I liked how uh, the, the author of this book said, said one hapless writer. And I was like, hapless <laughs> indeed. I've been there, dude. I've been oh, there.
1: I don't want to write this story about a
0: duck. I've <laughs> been there when your editor sends you out to write a report of what the farming expectations are for the summer. And you're like, slow news day? This is like a slow news month. My yeah. God. <gasps> Two years in a row. I it's it's corn. We're going to have some corn?
1: Growing out there.
0: Might have some tomatoes.
1: tomatoes. Uh, more corn over here, and over here is where I plant barley. And I know you can't see it, but over here is where I plant potatoes. But potatoes grow under the ground. You can see the, like the, the top of the potatoes. They're
0: underground. The, t- the the potatoes. They're underground.
1: And over here is our bacon tree.
0: <laughs> I would love a bacon tree.
1: Uh, essentially, what it is is there was a tornado the other week, and the pigs got swept up and just impaled in the tree. So, I mean, we're making the best of a bad situation.
0: Stop doing that when I'm taking a break. I don't know if you all just heard my noise as I tried to keep it from hitting the Blue Yeti.
1: <laughs> One of these days, we are going to ruin this. Gonna, it is, yeah. It's, it's either going to just... smell like Mountain Dew or beer. Yeah. One of the two. It's it's it,
0: it, it, It'll be a long time coming when it happens. I'm surprised <laughs> it hasn't happened already. So, actually, at the arraignment, not at the trials and everything, but at the arraignment only, um, they have... Uh, Thorn is brought in and he stands at the table and then Mrs. Knack is brought in, Augusta is brought in and they are side by side and when she comes up to him, she stands there and they see like, they kind of like crowd together a little bit so the reporters mm. can't see what they do see. Quick squeeze of the hands. Quick, uh, you mm. know, still, uh, still lovers at least for the moment.
1: Something tells me that genitals were involved.
0: And uh, she says, uh, Augusta Knack says to Thorn, uh which... Okay, two possible things that she said to him. This was the general report. She said "schweige still," which uh, is generally German for pretty much just as "be quiet."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But um, the New Yorker Stadtzeitung, which is the German uh, New York paper or one of them, uh, says that uh, she might have said "halt den Mund und spick nicht," which is "shut your mouth and don't speak." Another unclosed parentheses. I have a problem, okay? <laughs> and so uh, they didn't really have a lot to say at the indictment, uh, but uh, of course Hurst had something to say about that fact. Of course of he course. did. Mrs. Knack and Martin Thorne refused to talk, all of which is very strange considering that she is a woman and he is a barber.
1: Oh, God damn with the disc, <laughs> yeah. Randy H. and the hizzy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh... Within hours of the indictment, uh Hearst had a book assembled from clippings and notes uh, from the paper and from his journalists. It was 126 pages illustrated. It was called The Golden Seppi Mystery, and it came out the very next day. And this was the very first book from the brand new True Story Publishing Co.
1: Ooh. True Story
0: Bro Publishing Co. I like that. <laughs> So, um, and the public interest in this was really, really high to the extent that there was a summer school teacher on the Lower East Side teaching bookkeeping. Not in a particularly interesting thing to teach. I teach technical writing, so I'm not insulting people who teach bookkeeping. I'm just saying I know whereof I speak. Mm -hmm. I admit technical writing. It's not super thrilling. And uh, the summer school teacher, the students were absolutely just swept up in the whole case to the extent where the, the class became a mock trial of the case. The Times covered this. <laughs> uh, an what? 11-year-old mock attorney giving a half-hour close ar- closing argument, and uh, Thorne was still found guilty and sent to the chair.
1: So, wait, an 11-year-old mock attorney?
0: Yeah, yeah. Basically, a closing argument for an 11-year-old mock murderer. murderer. Oh,
1: God. <laughs> so, whenever you cut the head off the body and it made a snoring sound.
0: Exactly. Yep, that's pretty much it. Uh, the principal found out and said, quote...
1: <laughs> I just pictured like, Amber. Amber being, like, the 11-year-old mock attorney.
0: What about the genitals? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she would definitely be having that question. Absolutely. Yes. Um, the principal found out and said, I shall permit no more murder trials, which, yes, when you have 11-year-olds and they're supposed to be learning bookkeeping, I should hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, messieurs, which, by the way, one side note, I never referred to them in my notes as such, and I haven't mentioned it, but uh, the, the popular parlance or sort of slang maybe for messieurs, masseuses, whatever you want to call them, was rubbers. Really? They called them throughout multiple times. They're referred to as rubbers.
1: I wonder what the etymology of that whole thing is. They rub, robbers. <laughs> they're rubbers. Yeah. Yes. It took me a little
0: while too. <laughs> like I read it and I was like,
1: "What is? I did feel, they
0: mean to talk about a robber and make a typo? What's happening here?" I
1: feel really stupid now. No,
0: no, no. It takes a minute. It also yeah. takes a minute to kick in. Yeah. So, um, but they were now referred to kind of in in. in you know, with a wink as uh, Gildensiverse.
1: Ah. Yeah.
0: And uh, some more public interest. Uh, the Eden Musee, uh, Musee is French for museum for anybody who doesn't know, was pretty much the top of the line dime museum of its day. I mean, dime museums, it's hard to get pretty high up Mm -hmm. in the echelon there. But it was was pretty much considered, like, this is the fancy dime museum.
1: Yeah, this is the one. They're going to check and make sure you're not passing a Canadian dime to them.
0: Exactly, Uh, yeah. And they have, like, a room called the Chamber of Horrors and everything. Um, They did a recreation of the murder scene. Uh, It was uh, uh, called the Woodside Horror. Uh, They took the bedroom and the bathroom where the crime had occurred, recreated them, uh, right down to Golden Suppy's decapitated body in the bathtub and uh, a wax Martin thorn uh, off with the severed head and working on his plaster. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's pretty, uh, and that, <laughs> believe it or not, not the last time the Eden museum is going to come up in this.
1: That's kind of cool. <laughs> I wish they still had those, quite honestly.
0: It's kind of crazy, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Augusta Knack... People were obsessed with her. She became kind of like the queen of the tombs, which is uh what the, the jail was known as. Um people brought her bouquets and bags of oranges, I guess, to ward off scurvy. I guess. I,
1: I so I've heard and I, I, I'm just I'm just pulling at straws here. Whenever I read the very the very good book, uh it's the day. It's the day. Eleven sixty one twenty. I forget what the fucking day. Eleven twenty three sixty one. Okay. Uh, it's a Stephen King novel about a guy who goes back in time, mm-hmm. and he he's essentially he goes back. He can only go back four years. Uh, before JFK gets assassinated. All right. And anytime, anytime he comes forward in time and goes back, everything gets reset. So if he goes, for example, if he goes. And let's say he uh, saves someone from being murdered, mm-hmm. then he'll go forward, and then that person will be alive. But if he goes back again, then he has to, for that person to be alive again. He has to go save them again.
0: Really, waiting for the connection to the bags of oranges.
1: So he goes back, and in the book he says, "Well, I'm able to get steaks for like a nickel apiece, but the oranges are all at like nineteen ninety eight prices."
0: Oh. So yeah, transportation I'm... to New York City would be, from like Florida or places where oranges right. are grown, would be expensive. Yeah, so it would be sort of like, you know, um, just something super expensive, but also edible.
1: Right, right. So it and, might... and,
0: and that doesn't need to be refrigerated also.
1: Right. If you're trying to impress somebody, a lady, maybe a bag of oranges would do the maybe. trick back yeah. then. Because quite honestly, like a bag of pomegranates might get me in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> They also sent her love letters. I will
0: never understand why people do this with, with people in jail, but it, it, we don't need to go into it Yeah, because I, again, have almost 30 cards left. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm and, so uh, sorry. And, and, and I a bladder that is not going to last. Um, we can take a break. No, it's okay. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll let you know when I need a break. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to see if I can marathon it. <laughs> She, uh, she, people came in droves and they really wanted to see her. Like people would be like, we want to come see Augusta Knack and, and the, the jail matron comes down and she's like, so can I let these people come down and see you? And she was like, no, quote, I'm no freak. I'm not on exhibition end quote. But then she was like, or a quarter a piece <laughs> and then they can see me. And so that's what she did. She basically was making profit off of, you know, being in jail, which eventually would get barred, uh, but, uh, not at the moment. Uh, They dredged the river for about five miles or so from 10th Street to 92nd Street. People spotted it everywhere. That head was probably the most seen head in New York City ever, really. I mean, people were like, it's the head, it's the head, it's the head, it's the head. And it was never the head. Um, New evidence showed up around Woodside House, but then there was a suspicion that the papers planted it. Because the journals' circulation... So you have pre-torso finding, pre-chest finding, and near the end of June. That's our timeline. By the end of August, the journal's circulation had doubled. They're winning this war.
1: You know what this kind of feels like? With the journalism, this kind of feels like the Joan Benet Ramsey case.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. There are, there are multiple things we could compare it to, honestly. I mean, it, it happens almost every big sensational murder case, so. But uh, not every sensational murder case has a gigantic bill for dredging the river so big that Inspector O'Brien lost his post that he'd only had for, like, Aww. a little while, yeah.
1: Inspector he, O'Brien! Okay, he comes back around. I was kind of, I was pulling for him. <laughs>
0: So, um, uh, the, uh, Augusta finally granted an interview to uh, the New York world because the papers were basically like each had their own defendant, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to pick a side and you can't pick the same side as your competitor because you've got to have your own separate coverage. So, um, she said, Golden Seppi's still out there. And, uh, she basically spent a lot of the time in the interview pointing to her, uh, her technically still husband Herman said he was a philanderer. He abused her. She never really talked much about golden sepia other than to say he's still out there. Never really talked much about uh thorn. And then this article drove Herman knack forward to come to the assistant district attorney. He was like, she's got a story for the papers. I got a story for you. Mm. He says, uh, she was a violent woman. She performed illegal abortions for $25 each. Uh, a couple of her clients died in the process, and so, you know, some arrangements had to be made for those particular bodies, and speaking of bodies, there also were fetuses, and she stored the uh, a few of the dead fetuses in jars in my room. <laughs>
1: Ew. About a
0: dozen of them, and- Pickled uh, punks. Apparently the- What?
1: That's what they used to be called, like fetuses in jars. Yeah. Uh, it was like a sideshow thing, and they were oh, called okay. pickled punks. Oh, that's so- Yeah, kind
0: of horrifying Um, and about a dozen of them. And the point was to sell them to, again, medical students, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So um, and if she didn't pickle them, uh, the undertaker would bury them or she would burn them in the stove. So he said she did about two to three a month for eight to ten years. And uh, this basically. They didn't really have a great motive yet for her to be involved with Golden Seppi's murder. They had a good motive for Thorne. Obviously, this guy had beaten him, had, you know, taken his woman. If It you, you could be the other way around, but in Thorne's eyes, it was probably he took my woman. Mm-hmm. Lots of motive there, but they didn't really have a great one for Augusta Knack until now, because blackmail is a thing.
1: It is indeed a thing.
0: And uh, basically, there was a history of this, too, because Herman Knack said, you know, uh, well... Well, I'm, actually, I got to correct myself. I don't know for sure in my recollection of reading the book, which I literally just finished it today, but I don't know for sure if Herman Neck said this or if this was just knowledge that was found out. Um, but it was known that she he came after they broke up and he threatened her with to expose her. He, he said, you know, I'm going to tell everybody what you are, you know, and because uh, abortion was illegal at the time. And uh, so she tried to hire a hitman. So not unheard of in the world of Augusta Knack uh, to kill or try to kill somebody who threatened to blow up your spot
1: basically. They they're so they're so nonchalant about it. I could actually yeah. I could honestly fucking see her bartering with somebody, look, here's the deal. You take care of this guy for me. The next woman you knock up, I'll kill the baby.
0: Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Like it's it, it is very nonchalant. Oh, man, this might be my first more than two beers
1: episode.
0: (laughs) So on September 17th, the indictment was dismissed because there was a new one in Queens County, which was where the murder actually occurred. Um, This was just shy of the moment when the five New York boroughs would be consolidated. So at this time... It was a matter of territory and or and where things occurred and who had responsibility. But very soon after that, it wouldn't matter where it occurred. It would it would just be you know New York. So I don't know specifically how that works now, but I know that they weren't quite there yet. Um, so they were moving Augustinac and Martin Thorne from uh, the tombs to a jail in Queens County. One thousand people gathered just to watch these people being taken from a jail and put on a in a I don't know, probably a carriage and taken to a ferry. Like, just for that. Just to watch people being taken out of jail. There was no definitely no Netflix.
1: We're no better. We're no better than I don't this go day.
0: out to actually like see murderers. I just do research on them and then talk about them on the podcast.
1: Whenever Paris Hilton.
0: Oh well, I we, was when you say we're no better, I'm talking I'm talking We're you better. Ma- you no, and we, me are better. Yes.
1: Whenever Paris Hilton was released from rehab. Like, this pissed me off. There were hundreds upon hundreds of people there cheering her on and stuff. And she got to ride home in the ambulance that was Ratchet from the first Transformers movie.
0: That is absurd.
1: I would have loved that. That meant nothing to Paris Hilton. Oh, yeah. That she didn't been, even know. Yeah. That would have been the highlight of my fucking life up to that point. Yeah, sure. I got to see my son be born, but I'm riding in ratchet right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's, yeah, the whole, so, that period of time when, like, Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie were, like, super, you know.
1: Yeah. So, I that can't was, say.
0: Uh, just an absurd moment in history.
1: I can't say that humanity's any better now.
0: No. I mean, in, in many ways, yeah. So um, Augusta Nack definitely wasn't much better than anybody else. She, uh, she got a trustee, uh, you know, somebody who basically mm-hmm. in, the, in the jail is uh, given privileges. It's they, can, you know, they do errands and they can sometimes even leave the jail. Um, they, you know, it, it's right there in the name, trust. Um, and uh, she gave him a, I believe, a sandwich and some potatoes and sm- to smuggle a note to uh, Thorne. Uh, He took a little side trip before he delivered the sandwich and potatoes and stopped off at the journal.
1: (laughs) Of course he did. (laughs) Yes,
0: because they're offering him more money than she did. And uh, so here is the letter translated. Okay. Dear Martin. I send you a couple of potatoes. If you do not care to eat them, perhaps the others will. Dear child, send me a few lines how you feel. Dear child, I believe there is very little hope for us. I feel very bad this afternoon. Send me a letter by your sister or by your brother-in-law. I wish they could procure us something so that we could end our lives. This would be best. My attorney assures me the evidence against me is as strong as that against you, and that you have talked too much which injures us, for the proofs are at hand. Good night. And now I have to say something here because just right before that, she had given an interview where she was talking about how suicide was the last thing on her mind. She pulled out a basket that held five knives in it and she's mm-hmm. like, I could use these if I want, but I'm not because I'm going to be acquitted. And her cellmate said that she danced around the cell every night talking about her acquittal and it would be really handy if they had a piano. <laughs> and so like,
1: think the about Casio, this. The Casio portable keyboard, not yet invented. Not
0: yet invented. And let's think about What do you think she's trying to do with this note?
1: She's trying to get rid of somebody who's going to testify against her.
0: Exactly. That's She's uh, trying to get Martin Thorne to kill himself, thinking that she'll do the same thing, but of course
1: she's not going to. Exactly. I want to be with my unpleasantly beautiful wife.
0: So yeah, it is very, like it took them a minute once they read the note and they were like,
1: oh. Yeah. And she also
0: even puts that like manipulation at the end, like blaming him for talking too much, which granted he did, but at the same time, you know, that's definitely some, I you blame know what, you and you yeah. should feel bad and maybe you should kill yourself too.
1: You know what wouldn't have gotten you into this problem in the first place? Not killing people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, the note went to the journal and the journal sent the trustee back to deliver the note to Thorne and said, if he has a reply, get it to us. By that time, the jailers had figured out what was going on. And so uh, they managed to salvage Thorne's reply after he ripped it and tried to eat the remnants, um, which there's actually a picture of the like taped together remnants of the note in the book. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Of course, it's all in German. But the uh, the reply is, My dear, you wrote of self-destruction. That would be best. I had thought it over long ago and came to the conclusion that it would be best for me, but not before all is done to gain liberty. Perhaps it will be the better way, and I will, and it will be easy to accomplish it. I have a prescription for morphine that I can buy or get at any drugstore. You're in jail. Yeah. But have patience and endurance and say what I write to you. If it comes to extremes, then it is time and I will arrange it so. It is not on account of living that I would like to get free, but to spite the people here. That's uh, something, huh?
1: Yeah, and then she looks at the. I'm sure she saw the reply. Well, it probably she no, probably it didn't. saw it in the papers. I'm yeah. sure. they probably get her
0: the papers. Shit,
1: he's not gonna kill himself right away.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she and especially the first part must have been like a little tease, like, "Oh, he's gonna do. He's gonna do. It. Oh, oh, he's not gonna
1: do it." <laughs> yeah. Dang it. So,
0: um, they, uh, this, these, especially her note, which you have to think it might have been intentional for some reason. Got uh, intentional for some reason on her part, but it did get the uh, the detectives and reporters interested in uh, Thorne's sister and brother-in-law mm. because they had been mentioned in the notes. We got to talk to them. Right. Reporters went straight to them. And uh, Paul Menker was Thorne's brother-in-law. And he said... They asked him where the head was. They asked him what he knew. He said, I know nothing about the case. Bring a man that says I do. I'll knock his head off. Oh, no. Can I quote you?
1: (laughs) No, don't say that.
0: (laughs) This is on the record. You know, right? You know this is on the record. You know what on the record means?
1: He's going to have like one of those fucking little Newton's cradles. It's going to be five severed heads.
0: (laughs) So speaking of the head, Thorne's former cellmate has a, a new story for everybody. He says, no. Gotha got it wrong. Thorne intended to throw the head in the water, but he got scared off, so he tossed it in the woods. And then a visitor came to the jail. Thorne told him where to find the head to, and to get on a fishing excursion boat and then toss the head off. And it so happens that Menker visited on these particular two days. Um, so that nothing has ever ever comes of that with Manker uh, so but it, and I'm just gonna be I'm, I'm gonna be honest now I still have 20 more things to go cards to go they never find the head oh my god <laughs> we go to trial they never find the head
1: so there's a plaster sphere out there containing mm-hmm. a human head someplace yes mm-hmm. every time I go by like like the decorations those little plaster spheres in, the, in people's yards I'm gonna have to crack them open now you
0: are yeah every yeah. last you one of them carry a little them. hammer and, and you know mm. spike with you or whatever yeah.
1: What are you doing? <laughs> Justice! <laughs>
0: looking for a head. It's, it's about 125
1: years old.
0: So, yeah, there's no real proof there.
1: So far, but... I've only found three human heads in these things, and none of them have been the one I'm looking for.
0: Thorne's attorney was one William F. Howe. Now, this guy, we're going to get into this guy a little bit. He, But first, we have to get into what corpus delecti is. Mm. Um, he planned a... Delicious
1: di- human body. That's uh, what well, that means. Well, I mean, you're
0: kind of close. I don't know. He planned a, 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 a basically a defense of there's no corpus delicti, or to use corpus delicti in his advantage. Corpus delicti literally means body of the crimes. But uh, it's not just body. It's also facts and evidence all altogether. Everything that can be used to prove the crime, um, but it also can be used to refer to just the object of the crime. If you have, let's say, a jewel theft from, you know, Dublin Castle, Hi, last week. Um, Mm -hmm. Then, week before last, where are we in time? I don't know. It was last week. (laughs) It was last week, okay. It's been a long holiday. (laughs) Um, It would be the jewels themselves would be the corpus delecti, which we've never found. Um, You know, The body itself is the corpus delecti, but regardless, you don't have enough if you just have a confession, which technically you do uh, with him. But uh, there is, for instance, some cases that helped bring this about, uh or bring up corpus delective's importance in law in 1819 the bourne brothers case in vermont the victim showed up right before the execution (laughs) so or should i say the scheduled execution because it didn't happen when the victim showed up i'm pretty sure i didn't bother to look into it because i was like i'm pretty sure that's not gonna happen now yes but it did that i just
1: picture it like being an accident what's going on here everybody (laughs) holy shit
0: (laughs) Almost. Oops. <laughs> that was close. Shit, man. Five more minutes. Five more minutes. I just pictured a different
1: story. I just pictured the guy in the electric chair going, we're not going through with this night now. Right. Yeah,
0: exactly. So uh, this uh, this how this lawyer how four decades he'd been in practice. He had uh, been the lawyer for six hundred and 50-ish, I mean obviously you lose count eventually, murder and manslaughter cases and he won a lot of them and he was quite the character. He dressed very fancy. He would wear like yachting caps with his initials in gold buttons on them. Lots of jeweled rings and like diamond pendants and bright waistcoats. But then as the trial, here was the interesting thing, as the trial went on, he would slowly tone his dressing down until eventually he was wearing a suit that basically was like black jacket, black tie. Okay. I'm on my way to a funeral when we, when it gets to closing arguments. I find this strategy very fascinating of, of being a bright peacock at first and then slowly turning into a crow.
1: It's an interesting strategy because the first thing I thought, and forgive the stereotype, but at the time, at the time, you have people like Liberace, you have people like Rip Taylor. Later on. Yeah, much later, later on. on. Much, this is on right, much later on. Much later on. But I kinda of thought, maybe this person's gay. But you know, like Charles Nelson Riley, but flamboyant, so this is the way he shows it. He's closeted but gay.
0: I mean it could be. We know yeah. we don't really know. Um
1: But then whenever you said he tones it down, boy, that's a really good because it's gonna throw off your it's gonna throw off your competition. Because your competition is looking going like look at this idiot. I'm not gonna have to do anything and then slowly you fucking metamorphosize into a competent lawyer,
0: and the jury starts taking you more and more seriously yeah. the deeper and deeper you get into the trial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's definitely an interesting, uh, interesting strategy. He also was known to be able to cry on command, although some people suspected he just had uh, handkerchiefs scented with onion. So let oh, I see. Um, no, it's
1: not onion. Onion doesn't really work that well. It needs to be like Vicks Vapor Rub or Ben Gay, Ben Gay will get you crying.
0: How's trying to do a lot of different things here and, and especially trying to uh, claim that Golden Suppy is still uh, alive and walking around on two completely intact legs. And uh, so the, the police were, were having to follow along. Like, he, like How's like, oh, I got two men coming over from Hamburg who can verify that they saw Golden Suppy over there. And so the police are having to actually follow up on this stuff. Because, uh, quote, this, after all, was the lawyer who had once scotched a murder case by secretly paying a witness to move to Japan. Wow. This was the lawyer who'd once gotten another murderer acquitted by blaming a stabbing on the man's four-year-old daughter.
1: That bitch.
0: <laughs> well, Howe smiled at any doubters, when you see Golden Suppy walk into the courtroom at Thorne's trial, you will all be mightily surprised.
1: I just picture... Like him, like finally, like getting like all the body parts and taping them to a person in a black body stocking. Hi, everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Never mind my
0: lack of head. Would not put it past him. I'm fine. Yeah, he was really something. So, uh, yeah, he basically claimed that they, according to you know corpus delecti, they needed the full body. But that's kind of a misrepresentation of the actual law.
1: Yeah, it's sometimes the absence of them is the evidence for example the absence of the crown jewels Mm -hmm. that is the evidence that they are stolen they're no longer there there. yeah Yeah.
0: so this trial was i mean it was the it was the trial of the century at the moment um at the moment it Mm -hmm. was 1897 so i think you could definitively almost definitively say what's going to be the trial of the century although there were a couple others that were um So they had to add benches to the Long Island City Courthouse because they expected they they said they could probably fit about 500 people once they added some benches. And before that, it would be way too little room. Um, people nearby the courthouse were renting out rooms to reporters because you would have to actually stay somewhere for the duration of the trial. It would be too much of a commute, you know, back down to the city every single day.
1: All the reporters have taken, uh, classes and telephone repair. Yes, yes. seeing <laughs> that this will
0: be necessary. Roast peanut vendors are all like prepping for sales and figuring out like, oh no, this is my spot. No, it's my spot. Um, you had four new saloons open up across from the courthouse
1: of course you do
0: predicting the the need for booze um Hearst actually got the courtroom wired so that the the stories could be transmitted instantaneously he also got are you ready I'm ready three US record holding racing pigeons and they set up three cages outside the courthouse
1: I was right the fucking homing pigeons they're using goddamn homing pigeons
0: racing pigeons but yeah Motherfucker! Racing pigeons are homing, yeah. 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 And uh, then they had a window at the at the journal offices, and the <laughs> pigeons would... The reporters would give the story to the pigeons, or the, the, the illustrators, also the courtroom sketch artists, give the story to the pigeons. Pigeons fly off and, to the newsroom. Yeah.
1: I... Maybe the reason I'm not wealthy is because I make the jokes, but don't put them into practice?
0: Yeah, maybe. Maybe we're learning something here. So... They call, uh, the very first juror, this was just funny, he's a painter from around Woodside, he had actually seen Thorne there on June 26th, the day after the murder. The papers had interviewed this man, (laughs) like, they did not really have jury selection, and we're gonna see a little bit more about how jury selection needed to be fine-tuned a little bit, so obviously he's dismissed. The very next two automatically presumed Thorne's guilt, they said, yes, I've read everything about him in the paper, he's guilty as hell, um... So they did manage to eventually get a jury together, um, and the, the jury was pretty much sequestered. Uh, it's it, this is the first jury, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, not to spoil anything, but it happens in just a few seconds. So, uh, but the they were staying at a hotel, and I wasn't sure in the beginning if they were there for convenience. But the second jury is definitely sequestered. So my guess is the first jury was too. And obviously, there's so much news coverage, you have to be able to find a way to keep them right. away. So, um. On the first day of the trial the journal gave the first four pages of their evening edition to the case some other stories that missed out on front page coverage
1: I want to hear this
0: Um the Georgia legislature voted almost unanimously to ban football
1: What the fuck why
0: It's a brutal sport it's brutal
1: I'd like to say I'd like to say we've come further but once again I heard today that the US government is considering putting a tax on first-person first-person shooter video games to pay for school shootings, the damages <laughs> for school shootings. So no, we haven't come that far.
0: No, we haven't. Um, and uh, another thing that was not in the front pages of the paper was the death uh, by uh, shooting uh, from the authorities of Dynamite Dick. <laughs> He was uh this Porn Star in... or
1: Mafia Mafiosa.
0: No, Wild West.
1: Wild West. Wild West.
0: Uh this happened in the Indian territory and that's literally what they called it. It's capital I, capital T. It's not me being racist and using outdated terms. He was known as the most killed outlaw in America. Wow. Because uh, he had uh, a big bounty on his his head. It was about $3,500. I didn't do the math this time. There was a lot. Okay, it's a deep dive. We're going on two hours now, all right? (laughs) So give me a break. Um, But it was about $3,500 in that day's money, and he was known to be missing three fingers. People would turn in dead bodies and say, oh, this is dynamite dick. This is dynamite dick. And either the the body would have all ten fingers. Or be missing the wrong three. Of course. <laughs> so, freshly severed and freshly bleeding.
1: <laughs> well, I shot him in that hand. It grazed off the top of the stumps. And then, it's the wrong hand, George. I shot him in that hand and the finger just popped out of the other yeah, one. Yeah, it just
0: popped out. You know how that happens. Fingers exactly. just pop out.
1: It's like whack-a-mole.
0: Also on the first day, or the evening of the first day, rather. Confession from Augusta Neck.
1: Finally. Boy, did
0: that take some people by surprise, though. Um, so she testified the next day. She said she lived with Golden Seppi. Golden Seppi put Thorne in the hospital for four days, as we said a a while ago. Uh, Thorne wanted her to live with him. He asked her for money and she said, no, I'm not giving you money. So he said, well, I don't want money. The fuck, dude? Um, and he said, I want Golden Seppi's head. Uh, she claimed that Thorne strangled her half to death and that she had to do as she was told. And she kept on saying that she loved him after he strangled her half to death. And it was this whole big thing between the direct examination and the cross-examination. So the prosecutor and uh, direct examining her, examining her, I guess we could say, I don't know. And uh, the um, defense attorney cross-examining her. There was this whole attempt to kind of straddle the fence of two different lies. And we'll get there in a second. But she basically just tells this whole tale that it removes her from the everything. She says she never saw the body. She just saw the parcels um, and said that she was confessing to make peace with God. And Thorne is like, this woman has never been religious. Mm -hmm. Um, She's just... How Cross examines her, it's one contradiction after the other. She... I liked this one moment when he is cross-examining her because, remember, she sent Thorn the potatoes uh, with along with the note. Now, regarding the potatoes, he turned back to his witness. Is it not true that you shot Golden Seppi? <laughs> wait,
1: no, wait. What does this have to do with potatoes again? I didn't shoot any potatoes. <laughs> so she's basically... So you, cut, you shot the potatoes <clears throat> and you cut up Golden Seppi.
0: No, you you cut up golden suppy and you shot the potatoes?
1: No, wait. Hold on.
0: I can assure you no matter what order, one of these you shouldn't have done.
1: Yes. Maybe both orders. <laughs> so
0: basically, uh, she can't lie that she was just under Thorne's spell and had to do as he was to- as he and had to do as he told her and also say that she maintained her womanly honor through all this. And, you know, if she's under his spell, and it has to do with she's told, then mm-hmm. let's say what else he might have told her to do. Exactly. You know? So she's trying to basically, like, fence to these two lies, and how is catching her out on these. And so it's really looking like things might end up coming out in, in, in Thorn's favor. And then she finishes her testimony, and a juror collapses. His appendix was perforated. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they have to have a new trial.
1: My God. <laughs>
0: they did consider um, having the same jury with one new juror, but they still were like, they would have missed out on testimony. And they didn't have alternates. There was 12 men, and that was it. And again, I say men for the, a reason. Exactly. Because it was men. Only I only called men.
1: That's right. You weren't even allowed to vote at this point, were you? Exactly. Much yeah. less
0: determine whether a man was guilty or innocent. So immediately after it's determined there's going to be a new trial, how his strategy is, it's pivoting. It's, it's, it's on a fucking swivel, man. He says, first he had been saying all along, Golden Seppi isn't dead. Golden Seppi isn't go- dead. Golden Seppi isn't dead. Golden Seppy's going to appear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I said that into a mirror. Three times. <laughs> you would have, three times. He would have appeared. Just this disembodied head. Um, but it dis- would be in the plaster, so you wouldn't be able to exactly. see the expression. It's kind of useless. What the
1: fuck is this? Why just do like- I have
0: a white bowling ball in my mirror? What's going on here? And a
1: severed tattoo just sort of floating <laughs> yeah. in the air.
0: So uh, he immediately pivots to, Augusta killed him. Or she may as well have, because she had such influence and sway over Thorn. Which people generally kind of agree with. The journal ran a poll. So who's guiltier was their question. Uh, they got 105 letters that said Thorne was guilty. Guiltier, at least, out mm-hmm. of the two. 329 letters that said both of them. And 713 letters that said Augusta was the guiltier one. I,
1: they're both very, very guilty.
0: They're both quite guilty.
1: They're yes. the Coke and Pepsi of guilty. It's essentially the same thing. Yeah. But Augusta's definitely Coke. And yeah, and there's a lot Thorn of evidence is to point to that. Pepsi, and the yeah. author
0: actually gives us this theory at the end, which I love. Ooh. So um, I you you so rarely get that in true crime books. Like you you, you kind of get an idea from the way that they write, but you don't get like, here's my theory. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, I'm here for this.
1: Absolutely. So
0: the Eden Musée that we mentioned earlier, they changed their wax works. It's no longer uh just Martin Thorne and uh, Golden Seppi's body. Now it's Augustinac and Martin Thorne in the Chamber of Horrors. Good.
1: Good. I say good! Uh,
0: the prosecutors take Augusta Neck on a secret trip to Woodside. Remember, they're ramping up for the second attempt mm-hmm. at a trial. Uh, they want her to look for the saw and tell them where the saw is that was used to to cut the body, but they don't make a deal with her yet. They're very uh, reluctant, understandably. She points to a few spots, they make some fruitless searches, and then they take her back They say we're done with this. Two days later, Some laborers are working the fields and they find the saw right where she sat. Ooh. Yeah. So um, here's a thing. Trial begins. Next trial begins. Even the newspapers, with all the sensationalism around this trial and all the gory details that we've gotten, they could never put into print the truth of how the body was identified. (laughs) All right. So keep in mind, Golden Suppy was a quote unquote rubber at the best. He was a masseuse. Monsieur, I guess, is the male term for it. I guess masseuse is female. I guess I never really. I don't know. They keep it. They said Monsieur in the book, and I just ran with it. So
1: massage rather therapist. Than,
0: yeah, rather than say rubber. Yes. <laughs> so uh, apparently, if you're um Monsieur, you are frequently seen naked. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, and we're two hours in so let's just cut the speculation and just say it happened okay people saw him naked a lot
1: it's to make the other person comfortable they're naked on the table it's only fair that you get naked
0: there you go exactly tit for tat one might mm-hmm. say <laughs> um a
1: little bit more tit maybe
0: and uh so it is known that uh among his co-workers and even some customers that uh he had um a very distinctive penis.
1: Now, are we saying distinctive as? Oh, in- I'm going to
0: tell you how distinctive.
1: Oh my god! Oh, I'm going to
0: tell you how distinctive. Okay, so the DA gets testimonies um, about his attention-grabbing privates.
1: Okay. okay. All right. Okay, here we go.
0: So, um, <laughs> all
1: right, here we go. You look like you look like you're about ready to blush.
0: <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Um, well, I'm
1: colorblind. I can't tell whenever people are blushing, so you're good to go. No worries. Is it like a baby's arm with an apple in the fist?
0: I mean, I don't... It, it's, it's, it's really hard to... Okay, so... Okay. What can you say? Uh, the, by the way, the uh, d- district attorney's name is Youngs. Okay. Here, Youngs draws out one of the morgue photographs. As to the penis of exhibit number five. That's the one, he replied. <laughs> the most peculiar peculiar thing was
1: his... <laughs> I just got the... Just lines up a whole bunch of penises. That's the one! That's the, and that's, that penis goes, da-da-da! He looks startled.
0: Uh, a third co-worker reminisced the most peculiar thing was his penis. Like where he was circumcised on the head of the penis, underneath from the head he had a lump of skin hanging, which he could stretch. Ladies in the gallery gasped, but the monsieur had only just started. I saw him stretch it at least two and a half inches, he added brightly. Oh my god! Reporters were almost snapping their pencils. They couldn't print this. What the courtroom ladies now knew, and what the rest of the world would not hear a word of, was that back in July, the papers fibbed about how Murray Hill Baths' employees so conclusively identified Golden Seppi. The papers claimed rather metaphorically, that it was by his peculiar finger. I see. But bath atten- attendants and morgue staff alike, when asked, agreed that out of the thousands of naked men they'd seen, this one was special.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> Are you sure it's him? Stretch his dick! <laughs> yeah,
0: stretch his dick. <laughs> but they couldn't, because they'd pickled it! <laughs> yeah. And we'll get to that. It actually comes up in a moment, too. That's uh, a oddly, disgustingly hilarious moment. But, but yeah, so... It was funny because the the Snapchat that I sent Jackson was because I ran out of room after distinctive. And so my next one was continued penis. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, things are getting interesting. It's
1: a big penis if you have to use two cards. (laughs) Yeah,
0: right? So, yeah. And they actually, yeah, they had it in the exhibit area, preserved in like a fruit jar. Um, yeah, but it had kind of, the preser- preserving chemicals had kind of shrunk it some, and it wasn't as uh, stretchy as it I once had been. It was a little see. hardened. So, uh, yeah, this was the end of ladies being allowed in the courtroom for this particular one. And the judge was like, I, I really wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> so, um, uh, the, by the way, uh, just a quick side note. The jury's was sequestered, as I noted earlier, at a hotel designed by one Stanford White.
1: Holy shit. I know,
0: right? Paths crossing.
1: He's going to die soon, too.
0: hmm So um, they bring Herman Knack in. He was the husband mm-hmm. of Augusta Knack. And uh, again, like, I just love the way this book is written, and so I have to quote from it. Absolutely. So you have Herman's there. Of course, Martin Thorne is there. Augusta is there. And so here it was, then. Herman, Gussie, and Martin glowering at each other from across the courtroom floor, along with some remnants of Willie floating in an old, alcohol-filled fruit jar. The four principles of the tragedy were together in one room at last.
1: Oh, no. And I
0: died a little bit. (laughs) I was like, you've got the three live ones and the penis. (laughs) Like, it was just like, oh, my God. This is, uh, we're getting into absurdism. Like, this is, like, oh, my God.
1: Like, why... I, 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 the penis should have ended up in some plaster too <laughs> yeah. why just the head
0: oh god So yeah. you could have put
1: them in the same thing
0: the uh John Gotha testified of course because he had to he was the one who heard the mm-hmm. confession you know he was the one who came to the you know his wife really he told his wife his wife went to the cops the cops were like tell us and he was like eh, and his wife was like tell them he was like okay um The defense attorney, Howe, tore him up because apparently the DA had helped him out financially somewhat since Thorne's arrest and paying some rent, giving him $100 here and there. Not looking real great, you know? Um,
1: Definitely a conflict of interest.
0: Exactly, yeah. So this second trial, the prosecution rested without bringing out Augusta Neck. So they're not even going to give Howe a chance at her without them having their chance. So they're basically like cutting him off at the knees as far as uh, she's concerned because he can direct examine her. If he brings her as a witness witness, but he can't cross examine her. So he can't cross examine the very woman he's pinning this murder on. Smart, smart, smart move. Very. Um, Thorne testifies in his own defense. I, as a avid listener of true crime podcasts, I'm always waiting to hear whether uh, somebody who's accused is going to testify in their own defense. It's such a big move. Attorneys almost always advise against it. So when it does happen, it's so fascinating. Um, he said that he came to the house in Woodside and Golden Seppi was already shot. And Augusta Knack said she basically cheerfully confessed, yeah, I shot him. Um, and then made Thorne get rid of the body. And But he said, well, she helped with the... I call it dismemberment, but in my mind, dismemberment is taking off the arms and the legs and definitions I read tended to lean towards limbs, but I still don't know a better word that doesn't like mean, taking apart a body, chopping up a body. Like, it's the best I can come. It's the most accurate I can come for the very weird way in which this body was cut up and divided.
1: The Nepalese have a have a term called breaking. And yeah, that seems to be that seems to be the best term. It's not, it's not, you know, white dissection, it's breaking.
0: Okay. I still don't like it. It still doesn't work. Yeah. At least not in my parlance. Maybe probably works for them. Um, but the uh, the prosecution then brings up a 13-year-old neighbor of Augusta Knack who is able to place Augusta Knack, um, this is right after Thorne testifies, and he says, you know, what times she was there helping him dismember the body. Uh, the This 13-year-old girl says, oh, she was in her apartment trimming a hat at that time, at that exact time. And I remember it was that exact time because it was a Friday. I get out early on Friday and then I go babysit my neighbor and blah, 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 blah. So she had very, like, it was very good mm-hmm. testimony, honestly. Um, <laughs> Another quick side note of the just ridiculousness of this whole thing. The jury members formed a freaking fraternity. All right. Of course they did. Of course Why they not? Did. They almost, almost called it the thorny club. That would seem like it might cause some questions to be drawn in appeals later.
1: No, no, no. no. The, the name should have been, Do I Make You Thorny Baby?
0: <laughs> exactly. They eventually ended up uh, settling on the Good Thing Club, because good things come to those who wait. Um, they had cigars together, they got a group photo, and they even hazed their police escort. Um, when they went to the hotel's shooting range, they put some blanks in his rifle.
1: Of course. That's what I want.
0: This that's... is some... 19th century bro bullshit yeah. right here is what this is. I'm sorry, but that's what it is. The jury does visit the house because one big question was this tub where supposedly Thorne dismembered the body by himself. It was tin and golden Steppy, not a small man to dismember this body. One would need help without marking up the tub. So they were allowed to go and see, like, just the house in general, and also if the tub had been marked up. And sure enough, it was pristine. There were no marks on it. So they, you know, there there was no damage. They go off to deliberate. Six votes with secret ballots. Each one, 11 to 1. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. Three hours of deliberation. And finally they come back with guilty of murder in the first degree. Fucking,
1: like, I think this is, like one of the very few cases where i can honestly say i have no fucking doubt that each one of them's guilty
0: oh yeah 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 for sure um so the sentence is automatic sentence is death for murder in the first degree they say it's gonna be five weeks from now it's, it's gonna be the beginning of january right about actually this time um the there's a the day after the the trial concludes they're finally able to have a viewing for golden suppy uh well this is the day after Thorne is transported to Sing Sing. I'm not sure temporally where that is related to the trial, but um, yeah, he's transported to Sing Sing along with tons of crowds and press, of course, again, another public event related to this case. They had a glass top on the coffin. There was still no head. Oh my they God. They had him dressed up in a nice suit and everything, the pieces of the body all put together, and there's oh. still no head.
1: Oh my God. Why are you
0: doing this? Ten. Thousand people came to see it. My God, ten thousand! It's the
1: most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. That
0: freaking absurd! Ten thousand people coming to see a no, no-headed man. Oh my God, murder victim. That's been, been. Remember, this is like winter. This is like late in the year of yeah. eighteen ninety-seven, and this all happened in June. The body's been like pickled. It's been. It's been. It's been many months. It's. It's ridiculous. This is why.
1: I know, right? Like so, a glass top and a coffin—that's for people who are mostly there.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's pretty. It's pretty ridiculous. If
1: your head's gone, you should not have an open casket.
0: Absolutely not. So, uh, Thorn is over in Sing Sing on death row, um, and Augusta Nax sends him a uh, Christmas fruit basket. And a note via a a journal reporter. And uh, the note says, Uh, Dear Martin, it is Christmas time. I send you greeting to your lonely cell at Sing Sing. I have found great peace with my own heart since I put my whole case in the Lord's hands. Let me say this to you, Martin, that I can send you no better gift than that you seek the Lord while he has given you time. Martin, it is determined by law that you must die. His hands began to tear... Oh, sorry. That's not part of the letter he actually started to rip the paper up at this point and then the rest of the note is find peace before you go then you are not afraid of what man can do augusta neck
1: mm.
0: not even a love or sincerely in no. there um so yeah it, he basically cordially. and yeah cordially <laughs> best so uh she the, the journal reporter was like well i'll bring you back a reply if he sends one and she's like no he won't uh and she was right he uh he sent no response uh, his execution was delayed, pending appeal, and uh, at some point during this time span, they came by and said, uh, by the way, manslaughter out in 15 with youth, with good behavior. Augusta.
1: No. Deal had
0: been made with Augusta. No! And of course she gets out sooner than that. We'll get to that.
1: That cunt.
0: But they, uh, they did auction off all of her stuff, <laughs> <laughs> including the dress she wore on the day of the murder, and as favors to the people who came to the auction... They gave people who came to the auction her midwife business cards. Damn. Yeah. So the execution of Martin Thorne is set for August the 1st. Appeals are over. There's no more. It's not like in our time now when it's appeals and appeals for years and everything Mm -hmm. moves much more slowly. Things move lightning quick then. Uh, His last meal is uh, reminiscent of his Prussian upbringing. It's roast beef, turnips, rye bread, and pudding. His last words.
1: Well, give, first, give my mustache to Trevor.
0: First, I should say um, there were 2000 applications to watch his execution, but the law by law, they can only allow 28 people in. So it's like the, the cream of the crop as far as press and physicians are concerned. Um, so a priest, he had actually gotten a little bit of religion while in prison. A priest is there and the priest says, uh, uh, Christ, have mercy. And then Thorne says crit and then he's electrocuted. So that's his last word. Cray. 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 Yeah. Beginning to repeat Christ mm-hmm. have mercy. And didn't, they didn't let him, which is kind of cruel.
1: A little bit. little bit. A yeah. little bit
0: cruel. You could have just let him give, it, give him a, like, what is that? One second. If yeah. that's three quarters of a second, give him that. He was only the 27th man put to death on the electric chair at Sing Sing. Really? And the electric chair was only eight years old in New York at this time. That's how long it had been used. So that's pretty young. And there were not there was not certainty that it actually fully worked. A Dr. James O'Neill attended the electrocution. He was a skeptic of electric chairs. And he brought his medical bag and he went up to the corpse, maybe quote unquote, we're not mm-hmm. sure, afterwards. And he found... A few potential signs of life. There was the what is known as the cremasteric reflex was still functioning. I had to look up cremasteric uh, reflex uh, quote. This is a quote from uh, Al Dahir Melik. Maybe I don't know if that's his name or not. Um, about the cremasteric re- reflex from the NCBI. Uh, the cremasteric reflex is a superficial reflex found in human males that is elicited when the inner part of the thigh is stroked. Stroking of the skin causes the cremaster muscle to contract and pull up the ipsilateral testicle towards the inguinal canal. Was that fun for you to listen to or what? <laughs>
1: well, let's make sure he's dead. Fondle him. <laughs>
0: exactly. Now... There wasn't anything in this article about that, whether or not, you know, the lack of that does indicate death. But they do say that it appears to disappear consistently following successful spinal anesthesia. So that's something. It's not mm. conclusive at all. But um, so and they also uh, his he got out an ophthalmolic light. Ophthalmolic. I think I said that right. And the pupils contracted Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: uh, he's and he said he said i would if i were asked i would not sign a death certificate for this man and then they took thorn off for the autopsy immediately
1: oh my god no 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 he might have been no yep
0: Yep. Fuck. So, Dr. O'Neill said in a letter to Atlantic Medical Weekly, essentially what you did just now, except um, in, in words. Um, yeah. "Quote: just,
1: just, dear, My dear colleagues, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh God, no. Yeah.
0: Fuck." Regarding, Yours cordially. Regarding the uh, the autopsy, he said, "Quote: It is evident that its purpose is to complete the killing." The author does point out. Uh, being cut open while barely alive. Well, according to Thorne's own confession to Gotha, that's what happened to
1: Golden Seppi. Oh.
0: The twin fates there if that is indeed the case in both cases. Oh, we are not certain 100% sure either way. We only have uh Thorne's word regarding that uh, regarding Golden Seppi's death and we only and Gotha's word about Thorne's word really, and we only have um dr james o'neill's examination to determine but really that it is kind of eerie how those two deaths really are yeah. so similar so um and then the execution of martin thorne was an exhibition added to eden Musée's chamber of horrors of course of, it was Of course it was you got to keep on using that same wax figure can't stop um
1: we paid for it we're gonna use it
0: yeah. His family and his barber friends raised money for his burial. So instead of a pine box, he did get a a nicer coffin. And they did let in some onlookers and reporters. And, you know, some people were questioning this giant memorial arrangement of lilies in the valley that were, uh, would cost about $45, which I did look this up because it's flowers and I'm curious, mm-hmm. um, it's about fourteen hundred dollars in today's money
1: that's a lot of flowers
0: the uh, undertaker would not confirm nor deny that they were from augusta neck but he was all smiles when it was suggested so yeah she apparently sent him
1: flowers um i would think maybe it was hurst thank you for the wonderful sales <laughs>
0: thank you for doubling my circulation <laughs> with your horrible horrible murder so uh in his final days before the execution Thorne confirmed Herman Neck's abortion stories about Augusta. He said, uh, you know, that was basically what she did. That was how she how she earned money. How else do you think that a midwife was making that much money? No, you got to be doing something illegal to be having, like, she had, like, $300 in her corset when mm-hmm. she was taken in. Um, uh, she was also trying to sell, while she was in jail, two parcels of land in New Jersey, and she was trying to do this kind of on the sly. Didn't want anybody to see, which really says that she's not poor. She owns two parcels of land, and it, yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah. Now... Um, a
1: woman owning land unheard of
0: right uh in the years uh, going forward here uh, we have some some codas to some of the stories we've told here first of all there were some copycat murders committed
1: don't don't copy this oh
0: I know right several copycat murder, murders committed if including... you're gonna copycat
1: a murder do at least don't be stupid do one that somebody got away with
0: well it in 1899 there was one on a woman victim where the details matched exactly in 1903 uh really close to the actual date of the murder herman knack drowned himself in the hudson river wow really i mean maybe not the world's best gentleman in the world but an innocent bystander in all this i mean we don't know if he was violent towards his wife or if she was just trying to draw sympathy we don't know anything but really he didn't kill anybody you know so yeah um So these are all little side notes here as we lead up to uh, what happened to Augusta. The DA uh, turned the bullets found in the Woodside Cottage into scarf pins (laughs) just for your edification.
1: Of course. Look at this important evidence. I'm going to wear them as jewelry.
0: And that particular house uh, was having a hard time finding tenants and people said it was haunted, blah, blah, blah. So the... Brooklyn Society for the Extermination of Ghosts and the Dispelling of Haunted House Illusions, and also the longest name of an organization ever. They tried to clear up the house's reputation, and the house did get a new tenant who ran a pet shop out of it. Mm-hmm. Very cute until a dog bit them, and they got rabies, and they died.
1: I'm thinking it's probably haunted. Here's I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what to do if your house is haunted. What you do is go to the most active room you can.
0: So here, the bathroom or one of the bedrooms.
1: Exactly. Smoke up a doobie, and then you pass it to the ghost. <laughs> the ghost, no one's gonna pass it up, and you go, "Ha! Fuck you, that's sage. Get the fuck out."
0: <laughs> there you go. Brilliant. Uh, there was another tenant there who actually like preserved the, the bathroom and the bedroom where the murders had occurred, so that you know people could come see it, and then ended up running, screaming, half naked from the house and in the in uh, asylum. Uh, where he told uh, the doctors that he was running from Golden Seppi, so maybe maybe a little bit haunted. Um, July seventeenth, nineteen o seven, Augustinac is set free. Um, at first she's on the train and people knew that she was going to be set free and they saw her and they were Mm -hmm. like, you're Augusta Knack. And she was like, I know, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm just a poor farmer's wife. And, um, she tried to pretend she was somebody else. And there was a big scene, lots of press, lots of gawkers. She could barely get through the crowd. I'm
1: not Augusta Knack. My name's Augusta Black.
0: So, um, she keeps getting rejected from hotels. She, she, she needs a place to stay. She keeps trying to go to hotels and they're like, nope, nope, sorry. We're she,
1: good. All filled up. No room in the manger.
0: Yeah. She does sell her confession to the journal. There's really nothing groundbreaking there. It's just her trying it's to like, pass off blame. It's OJ again. Yeah, really. It's it's exactly that. If I did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somehow she went to Europe and came back one year later, just dripping in diamonds and being like all the fancy woman. She comes back to the tombs and then, you know, like goes down to the matron there and she's like, oh, my old friend. And then she says she wants to be a matron and the, you know, like, oh, maybe I could be an assistant matron or whatever. And the matron's like, "Mm, I've got to have a lunch appointment. I'm going to go now. Bye. Bye. Good seeing you. So she's not able to get in there, which she basically probably saw the corruption and graft and everything that was allowed to go on and thought that would be a good source of profit.
1: I, uh, I, I think you'd make a great matron. Uh, I'm going to write down your phone number and it's going to look like I'm just putting a bunch of scribbles on a piece of paper and I may never call you and you may never see me again, but I'm very interested. Yes,
0: absolutely. That's exactly what happened. Um, She did change her name to Augusta Huber and eventually owned a fancy goods store not too far from her old apartment. We need more fancy goods stores, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say. Then, in 1909, a body was what I call golden golden suppied. It was basically the exact, very similar. It wasn't her doing, but the press did track her down. About a month later, her business was completely dead. And uh, it was in the ground and she was in bankruptcy court. Wow. Uh, The last that the public saw her um, was uh, that at 1909. Then cops would still see her. um, And there was reports of a cop seeing her in the mid thirties selling candy out of her store. Uh, So that's, that's what we know about her. Uh, Some side notes on other people involved. The DA um, in the case, uh, he of the bullet scarf pins, he proposed an alternate juror rule. Mm. and it only took 33 years for it to get enacted well
1: thank god for that right
0: yeah so um he also ended up being teddy roosevelt's private secretary when roosevelt was president
1: Ooh. and
0: uh, new york's united states attorney as well so uh impressive career for him arthur Carey, the detective who tracked the oil cloth he, he kind of was like sort of almost like the nypd's Vidoque. Um, go back to our Vidocq episode somewhere around 17-ish, I'm going to say, uh, and uh, yeah, check that out. But uh, he became the head of the NYPD's new Homicide Bureau. He was known as New York City's murder man. He oversaw more than 10 10- Thousand murder cases. I mean, he was the dude. Damn. This guy. I hope there's books written about him. He was. He knew his shit.
1: Angela Lansbury, eat your heart out.
0: Right. So let's go into the author's theory to close this out. All right. All right. So, um, there's some evidence here that I wasn't. That there was so much here again. That like there were so many details. I urge you to read the book. It's very interesting. It's fascinating. Um, and again, there's stuff that I just could not fit into even to almost two and a half hours. Right on. So, but, so hopefully everything still makes sense in light of the, the theory I'm going to present here from the author. Neither Thorne's explanation nor Augustus, and I'm almost direct quoting, fit the evidence. The medical examiner, in examining Golden Seppi's body, found signs of a desperate fight, a deep stab wound from a knife plunged straight down, wounds to the hand from where he'd grabbed at a blade, and additional glancing or angled stab wounds. These wounds were clean of any fibers, indicating that he'd been attacked while naked. And upon Mrs. Knack's arrest, the jail matron had discovered bruises on her arm that corresponded in age to the day of the crime. Finally, there was one last humble piece of physical evidence left unaccounted for in the woodside bedroom. It was the only thing there, in fact, other than the two bullets and a discarded cartridge box. An empty Cabernet bottle
1: Ooh.
0: none of these clues were explained at the trial in Thorne's story to Gotha or in either murderers testimony on the stand but it is possible to conceive of one explanation of what happened that afternoon one that accounts for all of the evidence Golden Suppy was stabbed while naked and stabbed from above when he least expected it. Only one person could have led Golden Suppy to the bedroom of a vacant house, offered him wine, stripped him naked, straddled atop him, and then plunged a knife straight into his chest. That person was not Martin Thorne. (laughs) You see what I mean about the dry humor? Absolutely. Golden Suppy would have reached out and grabbed at his assailant's arm and hand, leaving bruises, and was stabbed across the palm and clumsily in the chest. That is when Martin Thorne would have stepped out from the closet to finish his rival off with a gunshot to the head. The head, I might add, that we never found. Yeah. There were bullets shot. There, We never found the head. So, And no bullet wounds on the body. So it all comes together.
1: Everybody. I propose the most ghoulish scavenger hunt ever.
0: (laughs) That's already been done. It was 4th of July weekend, 1897. A bunch of kids looking around Woodside for a head.
1: I'm saying we turn this into an alternate reality game. We could have that head found in a week.
0: Absolutely. So that's my story and i feel like we've gone on long enough that we don't even need to have like closing what are we doing this weekend my in-laws are coming and i'm working on a syllabus there you go that's for me
1: watching the new dracula tv series there we go stephen moffat same guy that did uh oh yeah first episode was amazing stephen moffat same guy that did the uh sherlock and he's and done some uh, he, um, doctor who mm-hmm, yeah yes amazing the first episode was absolutely incredible please go watch it it's absolutely absolutely amazing I can't say enough good things, but Christy needs to go to the bathroom. So (laughs) I
0: have to pay. So and somewhere in here. I have all my list of all of our things that we need to mention, but I can't find it. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, forget something is what I'm going to do. So, all right. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, We hope you had as uh, crazy of a time as we did. This was a bonkers one! Yes. Love deep dives. If you want more deep dives, I am happy to do them. Our Amazon wishlist has a treasure trove of old-timey, true-crimey books. You can find the link to that in the link tree on all of our social media, except, well, I think still on Reddit, too. So our social media on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit. There is the link tree and it has all the links to all of our different, you know, various places where you can find our podcasts or at least a few of them and also our Amazon wish list. So absolutely go and take a look at that. And if you want, send us a book or send it to our Kindle or whatever, uh whatever option is best for you but we will do another deep dive and you will get another crazy crazy look at a murder maybe one that you've never heard of whatever you pick you look down the list and see what you like there's tons of books on that list so yeah um, you can do that uh, if you also want to support us in another way we have our Patreon patreon.com old crimey where you can be a gumshoe you can be a flatfoot or you can be a private,
1: private dick not and not we... unlike somebody we did
0: today <laughs> maybe a we, we should change it to peculiar, Dick. <laughs> peculiar <laughs> private dick. An
1: odd penis. <laughs> yes. That's that's our new that's the new tier that we're putting in yes, next week. An odd private penis. dick, odd penis.
0: <laughs> we send them something in a fruit jar, <laughs> <laughs> something shriveled. So yeah, um, you can go and we have lots of different uh, things like our old tiny crimeys, where we have little mini episodes every week. That are frequently related to the main episode in some tangential way and we also have early release and we have business card templates and all kinds of fun stuff so go check out our offerings there and if you're not the long-term relationship type if you just want a one night stand then you can leave a buck on our nightstand drawer or on our nightstand i can't talk anymore it's been a lot of talking
1: (laughs) um you can leave
0: a a, a buck or five or ten or twenty on our nightstand just once and just Flee out the window and we will totally be cool with it.
1: Treat us like a whore.
0: Exactly. And you can do that by uh, using our old timey crimey at gmail.com address on PayPal. I've already mentioned all of our social media. Also follow us there. And am I forgetting anything? Did I manage to do it all?
1: I think the Facebook page.
0: Well, I said the Facebook, all the social media, yeah. Yeah, yeah. where you can find our our link tree and everything for the Amazon. I tried to tie everything in there.
1: There we go. So, yeah. I think think we're good then. Yeah,
0: I think we're good. I think that's it. So, I'm going to go and um, I'm going to pee. (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to let everybody know. I don't care that you know, honestly. But, uh, yeah, this has been quite the epic adventure and journey that we've taken with uh, these these characters and uh i for one enjoyed the hell out of it so thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week
1: get out there find that head yes find yes. that head
0: somebody we know you can do it we have faith in you
1: if you see an odd stone just start whapping away at it with a hammer
0: absolutely and,
1: make sure you're make sure you're taping make sure you're taping <laughs> yes
0: record this please
1: this is for scott and christy an old timey crimey <laughs> clunk 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 YouTube sensation. (laughs) All right. We will
0: see you next week.
1: Take care. Bye. Bye.
0: With all the sensationalism around this trial and all the gory details that we've gotten, they could never put into print the truth of how the body was identified.
1: It was by the wiener, wasn't it?
0: So stop preempting my fun (laughs) reveals. You are going to edit that out.
1: I'm putting this at the end of the episode.
0: I even had a plan for how I was going to reveal it, and then I was like, no way, Scott will jump on that. So I won't do it that way. I don't know why I'm talking like this. Are you saying
1: I'm going to bounce on some dick?
0: I am saying you're going to bounce on some dick enthusiastically, in fact.
1: So. No.
0: (laughs) Please, end of the episode.